0: Is up. Hello, everybody. Greetings, good day, and welcome to another merged worlds Dungeons and Dragons uh, story time podcast stream thing. Um, never, I don't think I ever say that in the same order twice, to be honest with you. Uh, but thank you for coming by today. We're going to be continuing our tale uh, of our heroes. Uh, And hopefully, bad things won't happen. But they will. But maybe not too bad. But they will be. I'm just saying. So, uh, greetings, all. Hello, Ashley, and hello, Michael. Appreciate you guys coming by. Uh, We are going to, uh, like normal, give it a minute or two, and then I'll uh, break into uh, just a brief recap of where we left off. And then we will start into the new stuff. Jim is almost home. Okay, well, hopefully, we won't miss too much then. Um, I will drink some pink lemonade in his honor. I've uh, been reading over this stuff again. I always reread the day's stuff beforehand, and I usually read well more than what we're actually going to go over on the off chance I'm wrong, and I get through stuff faster than I think. Uh, But usually not that game, not so much. So, um, where we left off last week, um, our heroes had once again been sent on a quest by Tobias, the Keeper of the Sands. He's advised them that there are three magical items, artifacts really, that he will need access to in order... ...to finally defeat... ...the Emperor of Ormon. And... ...they're like, okay. He goes, yeah, but here's the catch. You have to go after all three of them... ...at the same time. And they're all drastically far away from each other. So he had to split them into groups... ...and they had to go in specific groups... ...as he designated them. Which some of them were not that happy about... ...because... Some people who are considered relatively powerful in the group didn't get to go. And uh, there were some folks who went on these quests that normally, NPCs, that aren't involved in these type of things. So the first group, and the group that we were dealing with last time, had... Um, grab the list here. This was the group uh, led by Darsh and had Dandy... Uh, Tevin, the Cleric of Healing, Ulric, King of Serenity, and Edwin, uh, the Mage, who is also the former apprentice of Tobias, the Keeper. So they were sent after something called the Bone Lance, and they were, all of three of these groups, a portal was opened, and they all went through their own portal. And they are given a small hourglass. I said, open this and pour the sand on the ground. It will open you a portal or alert me to where you are. And I can open up a portal to bring you back home. Um, but I can only keep the portal open for a minute or so. So make sure you're ready to go when you do that. So our first group, Darsh and Friends, uh, they went to a very hot desert-style area where they traveled. Uh, so they found a, uh, a city built of stone in the middle of the desert where they were taken in, taken to the sultan. Um, for some reason, they were very enamored slash afraid of Dandy. They never did quite figure out why. Uh, in fact, several times when it seemed like they were about to find out, the person who would tell them would just walk off and disappear. <laughs> Dandy never did figure out why. Yeah, They were so concerned with her. But, uh, after they had to leave the city because they were attacked in their bed that night, attacked by assassins, which they defeated, of course. They're heroes, after all. Turns out the uh, they're, where they're going is to, um, the place that they're looking for, it's called the Caverns of Infinity. Caverns of Infinity are where the body is laid to rest of a very ancient, dead, evil sultan who had done some seriously bad mojo. And the Black Sand is a group of individuals that no one quite knows who they are, or where they're from, but they kill anyone going after that. Our heroes were asked to leave the city, but given supplies, and they went to the Valley of Scorpions. There they entered, uh, They ran into a sphinx who they made trade with uh, for information, and she pointed them towards a temple-like place where there was... Multiple traps and rooms. All based on uh, scorpion based stuff. The value of scorpions, right? Like yeah. Unpredictable. And they found this bejeweled scorpion. Which they believe is going to help them. And the um, Sphinx also told them that the caverns. Or the, uh, the Cavern of Infinity. Is um, in what's called the Sultan Scar. A large crack north of where they are. I think it's north. One moment. <laughs> yes, north uh, of where they were. We're going to travel that direction. But that there are multiple doors and the door moves every day. At dawn. Or no, at the end of the day. And it reappears again the next day at dawn. So they had to get there and make sure they find the right door. Because if they don't, bad juju. As they were leaving, they were approached by the leader of the Black Sand, I advise them that they are have been around; they're been around for generations, and their job is to make sure that the evil Sultan is never released from that prison. Um, they had attacked Darshan friends several times and always lost. They realized there wasn't gonna be much they're going to be able to do to stop them, so he gives them some warning and such, and explains you know the backstory a little bit, and then they proceed to head north looking for the Sultan's scar, and that's where we left off. And welcome, Jim. Yes, Buffy was here a moment ago. She's she not feeling as well again today? Her eyes bothering her quite a bit. So we're going to have to make a doctor appointment for the kitty next week, I think. Maybe sooner, she doesn't get better. Um, but they're headed towards the Sultan's Scar. So they travel a distance, of course. Because there's always a distance. Technically, 10 feet is a distance, right? But they travel a longer distance than that. Um, And finding the scars, not hard, because it's a pretty big thing. Imagine if the ground just one day cracked open and separated. That's really what it looks like. It's just a big crack that goes for about a mile and a half. Um, At its widest point, probably about 60, 70 feet across, it gets widest one. When they first arrived there. They find they're going to have to climb down. Uh, which is not super easy. But they managed to. Well super easy for everybody but Darsh. Darsh can climb real well. It's just not easy to find things you can tie a rope to. That Darsh 378 pounds. Is not going to pull off. Darsh a big old boy. But. Uh, they do make their way down. Into the Sultan's Scar. And there is no. Easy way in or out Both ends are just like that It's climbing Uh, Dandy's quite confident that she'll be able to climb back up At the end And see, they leave the rope And the hook They use pittons, because there's nothing to tie it to So they hammered pittons into stone The other upside of Darsh Being as strong as he is, he can drive them pittons in real hard So they left those there with the rope So hopefully they can find their way out again If not, Dandy will have to climb up and let down more rope So they've entered the scar. The scar has a river on one side of it. it. Moves very fast. Looks relatively deep. Probably about six to eight feet wide. It appears to flow under the rock wall itself on one side. So imagine if you're down at the bottom, half its ground, piece of its water, but you could tell the water flows underneath at parts. Not all of it, obviously. The whole thing that came in, but at parts. They stay... Uh, the water looks like it's going pretty uh, pretty quick. So they make a point... Of staying away from the edge of the water. Um, as always, of course... I, as a Dungeon Master, can't allow them to get there... Without earning their way a little bit. So there was <laughs> there was a combat... Uh, round in here. As they were traveling along... They were set around... Set upon... Uh, by Marahasi, um, which are flying creatures live up in caves. They live in the caves too high for the heroes to reach, um, and they're flying. And they start using ranged weapons, and then of course uh, attacking as well. Let me show you what they look like. So that's them, uh, expert marksmen. Uh, intelligent, they're not animals, they're they're peopleish. They, I mean, they're animal intelligence, but not the nicest of folks. Um, in this situation, it was very much Edwin um, that did a lot of the large heavy lifting in this one because uh, one thing our heroes don't have a lot of is ranged weapons. Dandy can throw her daggers, but that, even that's somewhat limited uh darsh actually did some damage there as we've talked before darsh carries uh javelins in a quiver of holding basically uh so he had five or six javelins i want to say he scored like with two or three of them he didn't do bad at all they do quite a bit of damage when thrown by darsh uh, the downside is is when darsh throws something that hard even if it's a rock on the you if he misses it's probably going to stick into the rock He's, getting it back is not that easy In this type of situation. Uh, But I think he was able to retrieve one. He usually carries six. He threw five. He was able to recover one. So he only had two left afterwards. None of them are magical per se. He didn't have any magical javelins. At one point he had a couple javelins of lightning. And he used them in earlier battles. Those were very early on. Uh, But he just carried regular javelins in there. and At no point did he ever find magical javelins either. After that. That can be one of the downsides of choosing a weapon proficiency of an uncommon weapon. It's not as likely to find a magical version of it somewhere. Um, They managed to kill several of them. And the rest kind of flew back away and up into their caves. Shot a couple arrows and then just kind of backed off. Uh, But Edwin tossing some uh, fireballs in those areas got some attention as well. So they managed to Defeat them. Uh, I don't think they got any real treasure off treasure or anything off it. I think they got a couple magical arrows. One of them landed on the ground, the body they killed, and they robed it. And they, it's bow broke, but it had several magical arrows as well as regular arrows. So they got a couple of magical arrows of something. Um, sometimes you get magical arrows plus one, plus two, just like any other weapon. But arrows, a lot of time, you'll find arrows of slaying which means it will kill whatever it hits, but it's a one-use thing. Um, getting a hold of like an arrow of dragon slang or something like that, that's a single arrow, but it's a heavily sought-after magic item. Um, but more commonly, you find them of other things. So, at this point, they're a little more careful. Not sure what else could be in here. They, can tra- they travel along. Again, I said it's only about a mile, which considering how much they walk, uh, it's not too bad. It's not as hot down in here. It's very shady because you know, unless the sun's right overhead, a lot of the light is being blocked by the crevice itself. And the wind flowing, actually, has, or the water flowing as it does with wind going through the chasm, kind of even gave a little bit of a spray. So it's the coolest part they've been in this entire section. Um, but they may get about midway uh, before they find exactly what they're looking for. Uh, The Caverns of Infinity, why does it have that name? They don't know. But the Caverns of Infinity is a set of caverns. It's not a cavern. There are six cavern entrances. And they all look more or less the same. Slightly the same in size. Slightly the same in a rounded shape. They're natural, so they're not 100% identical, you know. But there's not one that stands out from the others as this is the one you want to go to, you know. And across the entrance of each one, they could see a shimmering, magical something. You know, it could be a sheet, it could be a magic spell, but there was something shimmering and magical on the entrance of each one. So... They knew that going into the wrong one was certain death. They've been advised that by early on. They're advised that by uh, the Black Sand Dude. They're advised that by the um, Sphinx. So they know going in the wrong one, bad sauce. So they have to figure out how to get in there. So immediately they start looking for something they can do with their jeweled scorpion. uh, Because they assume they weren't sent to that for no reason. Predictable? Maybe... But if you go through all that trouble to get us something, you're going to need it for something eventually. So now they're looking for anything that they could put this jeweled scorpion in. As I mentioned, it was a good size, like a foot, foot and a half long, big curved tail over top. Uh, probably made of gold with jewels encrusted in it. Um, so they start looking for it. And they don't find anything at first glance. And so they spent some time looking. Um, <laughs> This group, by this point, <clears throat> uh, know my patterns in some things. Um, so there's a few things they know to do in every situation. Always loot the bodies. If I say something and it has a little bit too much detail, ask more about it. I find You find a green, shining something or other on an onyx stand. Okay, he could have just said ca- candlestick. What's so important about this? They uh, pick up on these things. One thing they know to do in every room they ever walk into. Search for secret doors. And a rogue search for traps. Now, Dandy did all that first. Before they took a step anywhere, Dandy searched the thing for traps. There were no standard traps. Edwin searched for magic. Yes, the the entrance to the caverns were very magical. But nothing else stood out. Knowing that the... Wrong one could probably kill them. It was safe to assume that the trap in itself was literally just going in the wrong one. An extra trap probably wasn't needed there. But it never hurts to look. As for searching for secret doors, they didn't find anything. They didn't find anywhere for this scorpion to go. So they're looking around and checking things. And it's that gets the idea. Well, I don't see anything around here. There's this river going along right behind us that looks pretty deep. Maybe what we need is in the river. <clears throat> they're like, well, we've tried everything else. I guess that'll work. Um, and so, as they've done many times in the past, they went kender fishing. Uh, Darsh, with his strength, ties <laughs> a rope around Dandy. Uh, it's gonna. Dandy will have to cut that rope. To get, it, to get it lost. Because Darsh with one hand could hold her weight. No matter how strong the current is. So it's literally what happens. He, he's holding the ropes. And she kind of hops in. And he's holding on to it. And if he feels certain tugs. He knows to reel her in. If you will. Um, Darsh has a ring of free action. Which lets him move easier underwater. Uh, but at this point. I believe Dandy had a potion of water breathing. That I had forgotten she had. Ladi da on me, but she's like, I have this one potion. Can I use that? And I'm like, well, yeah, nothing stopping you. So sure enough, jumping in the water with water breathing gave her a little bit more time. It took away the timed aspect of how long she had to look. So uh, that actually helped them out a whole lot. But at the same time, I like that I forgot that, right? Because <clears throat> a thousand years ago, somebody built this thing to hide a sultan. They wouldn't have known Dandy's gonna have a potion of water breathing, right? Sometimes the heroes just happen to have something that negate half of a half of a trap or half of a, a problem. They're like, oh well, this is a horrible problem. How would we ever get up there? Well, we've got a carpet of flying, so that problem is solved. You know. <clears throat> Sometimes I'm like, ah, well, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> it just happens to work out that way. And this situation was one of those. So Dandy going underwater, um, very easily. Because now she didn't have any rush. She could just start looking around. And searching for secret doors underwater. She in fact found uh, an alcove. And inside she reached her hand. And she searched it for traps. As best she could. Huge negative if you're trying to search for traps. Underwater. Where there's a strong current. I think think you understand a negative in that situation. She can't see any better than anybody else looking underwater. So she tries. But she doesn't quite find any traps there. So instead of coming up and asking everybody else what to do, as normal, Dandy decides to take these matters into her own hands, literally. And whoosh, slides a hand in there and feels a like a bar, like a handle, something she can grip around. She tries pulling on it. And nothing happens. It doesn't budge. Oh, okay, Michael. <clears throat> no worry. <laughs> Switch, switching accounts. No worries there. Um, tries pulling on it tries pushing on it. These things don't work. So she tries turning it. And it starts to go a little bit. But she's not able to do it. She's not strong enough. Now the water at this point was probably, from what she could tell, probably about 10 to 12 feet deep. She could just kind of see the bottom of it. Uh, again, it, the water's rushing in your face. There's a current. It's not easy like you're in just flat water looking like a pool or something. She gives a tug. Darsh pulls her out quickly because, of course, he doesn't know what's going on. Has to assume the worst. She gets out. She's like, okay, here's, here's the problem. This is what I run into. I can't turn it. Darsh is like, well, I can jump in there and hopefully the current won't get me. And they talk about it and instead they decide to switch up. And Darsh keeps the rope but he sends Ulrich in. Uh, Ulrich is relatively strong himself. Strapping young man. He's probably in his late 20s, almost 30s at this point. Uh, and, you know, takes off all of his armor. Because this dude's wearing serious armor. He's, of all of them, he has the best armor on. Because he was wearing, like, a warrior's plate. You know what I mean? Um, so it takes him a little while to get stuff on and off. Hey, Trashy. Uh, but he, uh, you yeah gets that all off till he gets down to just his skivvies and he's like into the water I go and again Dandy explains kind of where it is it's like it was right beneath here about three feet down so he lowers himself in and with his strength he's able to hold on It takes him a minute or two to find it he has to hurry though because he can't breathe underwater uh, but he gets down there finds it sure enough he reaches in makes a strength check and he's able to successfully turn it Dandy probably could have done it when it was first put in there but it's been on there for a long time underwater we'll assume there's some rusting um Now, above ground, once he does that, they hear what sounds like a clicking noise. Darsh immediately starts pulling in, because if something bad's been done, he doesn't want to get hit and drop the rope, and then Ulrich's lost down the river. Ulrich comes out, and they're like, we heard a clicking noise. He grabs his weapons first, right? I can put my armor on in a minute if I need to, but I'd rather be armed. I bit my lip again for the second time today. Son of a mother. Mm-hmm. You ever bite your lip and then later on... Because now it's a little swollen... You just bite it again and again? It hurts. So, uh... It'll happen again, I know it. <laughs> so... Nothing seems to happen in that regard. Danny starts looking around. Again, because clicking noise. Could mean trap is set. Mm-hmm. Danny then takes the initiative to look around. See if she can find anything. And she doesn't find a trap. What she does find is a wheel. Um, there was some rocky outcropping, like a rocky uh, thing that looked just like natural rock um, sitting there when I described it to them. Imagine if you're walking by, and almost like the bottom of a, a, the size of like a pedestal sticking up to stomach height. But it's not, just a gent- the rock itself. It looks just like a natural piece of rock. But when they get there, the top of it has literally come off. It was hollow on the top, and inside of it is a wheel with holes in it. And they, of course, immediately take out their scorpion, line it up, and sure enough, the legs will fit into the holes. So they decide to go that route. Um. Now, for just a second after they put that in there, the scorpion shimmers almost like a live scorpion just moving a little bit just kind of like shaking off the dust and the tail spins direction and then it seems solid again but a thin beam of light is going from its tail to one of the doorways um, at this point they assume you know, <laughs> I'm not making that a trap which <laughs> they were right and they decide that's the doorway they're going to go through but I'll tell you what would happen if they'd chosen the wrong one. I would have had to... They would have had to tell me which... I knew which one it was. I chose a number and I said, this is the one. I chose before they got there. There is something in Dungeons & Dragons called the Sphere of Annihilation. It's a sphere. And it annihilates things. Which sounds scary. But imagine a black ball... Four or five feet across... Almost like a pocket or a hole in time. It's a doorway. And there are magical doorways that look just like a sphere of annihilation. But uh, they act... A lot of times people think they act like a doorway or a portal. They very much can look like that. And they kind of are. Except anything that goes into it is literally ceased from existence. You stick your arm in, you have no arm anymore. You go into it, and not only are you dead... Everything about you ceases to exist. There's no body, there's no soul, there's no nothing. You are completely gone. There is no saving you. These doors were reverse spheres of annihilation. Uh, which meant that you could walk through them just fine. But if you try to come back through to leave, that's when they're a sphere of annihilation. So they would have walked into anyone perfectly fine to find out they were in a dead-end cave. And the second they tried to leave, they would die. Well, at least the first one would. Normally, your arm being cut off, or you walk in relatively quickly, is going to make everybody else stop for just a second. But uh, it depends on how quickly you're hurrying, right? But they chose the right door. The scorpion thing does not come out of the rock, by the way. It seems latched in there, so they leave it behind. Now I'm going to drink on this side of my mouth so that the lemonade does not hit the thing I keep biting. Ow. Damn it. All right. They were able to successfully get inside. Caverns of Infinity are not infinite caverns. I want to, cl- I want to start with that. Why are they called the Caverns of Infinity? We may find out. But when they went enter in, they first come into... Let me get it over to it. Mm-mm-mm. Here. They first come into a large room, or a large cavern. They can see the door behind them. It's not like it disappears or anything. They come into a cavern that appears to be just a round... Large, round cavern. Round dish. It's got the stalaggy things. There's some bold, rocks on the ground, boulders in the corner. I mean, it's not perfectly smooth, but it looks like a relatively... ...roundish room. Uh, But again, the cavern looks pretty natural. It doesn't look like it's been magically made. It looks like a natural cavern. And from the entranceway, they don't see any other way out of the cavern. So again, they begin their specifics. Dandy will start looking for traps. Everybody else starts looking for secret doors. That's the plan. The plan is immediately foiled. Because once they move just a few feet into the tunnel, uh, parts of the cave, which appeared to be in shadows, things start coming out. And the things that come out are an odd, odd hodgepodge of things that they normally wouldn't find together. One of the man scorpions they fought earlier, a couple of goblins, right? Follow me this. Some skeletons. Uh couple of you know, basic magical things that are coming out that why are these groups of things together but they start coming out in relatively large numbers I want to say it was a mix of about 19 or 20 things come out of come out of the shadows and none of them are massive darsh is still the biggest thing there although the man scorpions get pretty large um, it's like a giant spider there but everything seems to be working in unison like they all have one goal and that's to kill our heroes I think there was a bear I mean just again a random odd podge of things that if they had found them one-on-one wouldn't have been that bad but you throw 18 20 of them together that's a challenge is sitting here trying to fight two well-armed goblins and a bear that's some very different fighting tactics the bear don't care you know I'm just saying It's my new t-shirt bear don't care just saying <laughs> coming to a store near you So they're stuck in a spot where they're having to fight against all these miscellaneous things. And the things aren't talking or growling or snarling. They are fighting. uh, Like they just don't care. But they are fighting to win. And they try to do things to dissuade it and try to scare stuff off. Especially the animals. But there's there's no doing so. And they have no choice but to fight with all of their gusto. And to defeat all of the things in the room. And it takes a little bit. Because again... ...getting stung by a spider... ...while getting stabbed by a knoll. These, uh, ...these are different things to have to deal with. Uh, here we go. So... Finally... ...they managed to take out... ...everything in the room. Um, it's going to be... ...say it takes a little bit of time. It was, the Combat was a little bit... ...they didn't have to use really anything magical... ...other than the regular weapons nothing was special nothing that had to fight was a have to have a magical weapon to hit monster you know nothing was of that caliber you know nothing that they were like oh I can't hit this because I need a silver weapon or a plus three sword none of that kind of stuff everything they could fight normally again something like a, a group of hodgepodge of things that were put in there without knowing who'd be coming in you know what I mean kind of back to that thing I was talking about whoever designed this was designing it from a standpoint of Probably keeping out regular people, regular Joes, uh, grave robbers, maybe even. You know what I mean? So, a well armed Minotaur and friends probably not high on their list of things when they were planning this place. And again, I do try to create things that way. Oh no problem, MT. I appreciate appreciate Samba. Let me know what you think. So. After they're done fighting it, they hear a voice. It says, well done. Well done indeed. Of course, they immediately turn towards the voice. Weapons drawn, ready to go. And floating there before them is a creature that some of them uh, have dealt with at least somewhat in the past. A jinn. Da jinn, de jinn. Dijon. How you people do it It's a gin. It's, it's So it's, it's like a form of genie for those of you who may not know what that is. No feeties. Bottom half is, is kind of floaty. This one. Some of them have feet. This one's just not. And it seems like a relatively scholarly It has a look like that. Like it's it's, it's, it's not looking her, like weapons and stuff. It's not super bulky. It's thin, the clothing it wears, because they wear clothing, shirts and such. Looks like they're relatively fine tailored. It's actually got a bit of a thin look to its face. It almost looks like a li- librarian gin, if you would. And he's like, well done. Well done. You dispatched us with quite some ease. I'm relatively intrigued by this. It's been a long time since someone attempted to enter these caverns, and let alone something like a group like you. My, what an interesting gathering of fellows. Well, I'm only, going to have to, I'm only going to have you for a moment here, so let's go ahead and get over the technicalities, shall we? You have a choice at this point. You can continue on, if you'd wish, but know that you must face several tests before you can ever reach the inner chamber. Now, I will not lie to you. Some of these tests are very hard. There's a good chance some or all of you will die. Probably all of you. But, this is the last point you have to to turn around and leave. Once you go through the next chamber, and as he says that, part of the cave kind of shimmers, and there's a doorway there now. No, door, just a doorway. You may continue on, but if you do continue on, there's no more leaving. You either make it to the inside or you die. The choice is yours. Do you continue on or do you take this last chance at your freedom? Totally your choice. I personally don't care either way. <clears throat> and Danny's like, "We've came way too far to turn around now." I'm going through that doorway, and she starts to walk. <laughs> she doesn't go very far because Darcy's holding on the back of her shirt. She's just feet are just pumping, and he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna keep going, uh, but a little bit more cautiously." And he's like, "Fine." So his picture going like this, and her feet just moving, and she's not going an inch. That's happened a few times. Um, so he uh, he's like, "Well, definitely go ahead, then go ahead." and they uh, enter in to the doorway. And as they do, the doorway closes. I wouldn't say closes. It just ceases to exist. It becomes rock again. Like it closes up or anything like that. It's almost like the doorway was an illusion. You know what I mean? Because you'd think that the rock was an illusion. He made that go away to create the doorway. That's how most people would think how that would work. It's like, ah, the illusion of... The wall blocking it is gone. Now you can go through. Instead, it's like the illusion of the doorway comes up. Now go through it, and it fades away. And you're like, okay, that's the feeling that it gave. Uh, so that one. they walk into this next chamber, and it's very, very dark, which is not easy when some of your party have improvision. Uh, two of the Madden revision. <clears throat> Devin, or Edwin, one of them, was about to cast a light spell when they stopped for a moment. They looked at each other. Because they could see each other perfectly fine. They almost started casting spells until one was like, whoa, 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 wait, what did you say? I said, other than each other, you see absolutely nothing. But we could see each other. I'm like, you can see each other perfectly fine. It's like a picture of you is standing in front, or like a picture of you is on top of a black cloth. You're perfectly well lit up as normal. The room is completely dark. You can see nothing about it at all. Not even the floor you're standing on. To which they said, okay, we don't move. <laughs> because if you don't know what the floor looks like, you don't know how, where the floor is. That's a wise decision to make. Welcome! Friends, it has been a long time since someone has entered my chamber. Turning, they see another Jijin appear. This one, considerably larger. Huge muscles, looks like bodybuilder kind of guy. Rippling muscles, probably had no shirt on at all, got a belt on. Hair's pulled back in 22. You have entered my test. Let's see how you fare, shall we? This is, a, this is a test of strength. Who among you accepts my challenge? Shockingly, Darsh chooses to be involved in this challenge. Darsh steps forward a bit and says, That would be me? He gets a smile and goes, I had a feeling you'd say that. Well then, let's begin. And he snaps his fingers. And everything goes pitch black. And then there's another snap, and the lights come on in the whole room. They are no longer standing next to each other. Everyone but Darsh is standing inside of a huge glass tube. Right? It's a huge glass tube that they're standing in. They could probably reach out each side and they could touch it. The thing is probably about 15 feet tall. And there, in the middle of this tube, is a pedestal that they're standing on. If they were to move even an inch left or right, they would fall off. Down to the ground of this pedestal. Hopefully that makes sense. On the floor, behind them, appears to be a door. Although there are no doorknobs, nothing that shows how it would open. Like a door cut into the glass itself, but still solid. Like you can see glass hinges, So, like, okay, this would open... They're on the outside, there's no doorknob. We'll say Edwin or somebody reaches down, tries pushing on it, nothing happens. When they try to speak, Darsh doesn't hear them. Because Darsh is not in a thing like that. Darsh is standing in a much larger uh, glass dome. This dome, imagine if you would uh, the kind of thing you'd put on a silver platter to, to put the food under, except instead of metal, it's glass. So much wider, longer dome. And he can see the other ones through the glass of his own. Oh, <laughs> kick the door down. The glass, unbreakable. I'm pretty sure Dandy tried banging at it with the thing. Edwin, I think, tried casting a spell. But Darsh can't hear any of them. The, the tubes themselves appear to be completely soundproof. Now, in his dome, in front of each of where they're... He can see the tubes through his dome, Right? So he's in his dome, he sees these four tubes with his friends in it. On the ground in his dome appear to be large square metal plates. In the middle of it is another large round plate that appears to be sticking up slightly. The kind of thing you would be like a button, looks like a huge button. And again, the, the, the circle's big. Darsh could stand on it. And, behind him, the opposite side, is a door just like theirs, with the button in front of it. Same way. Now, sitting in front of him, not on anything, just sitting in front of him, are four incredibly big and heavy-looking boulders. Darsh hears the djinn voice say, let us test your strength, then. And as he does that, his friends all seem to start looking down. Darst looking at the bottom of the tubes, can see what it looks like appears to be a very, very slowly rising green, bubbling fluid that doesn't look very appetizing or uh, friendly. Now, inside the domes, Edwin's trying to cast a spell, finds he can't do anything. Nothing is working because there's no sound. He can't speak. Whenever he tries, It's not that Darsh can't hear him through the glass. It's literally negating sound inside of each of those. They can't say anything. They can't hit anything. But this bubbling green liquid... We all know Draven's a fan of acid. Of some kind. Starts slowly rising. Now, Darsh quickly has to make determination. Can I pick up one of these rocks? He bends down... ...and tries to pick it up. It is heavy. This thing weighs a lot. And Darsh is like, okay, four rocks... ...got to put in the pedestals. But, there are five pedestals. There are five buttons. Because there's one inside of his as well. He runs up and he checks the pedestals first. Which was a smart thing to do. They're not just buttons... In the center of those buttons is a divot that goes down. Almost like uh, someone took a perfect... Oh, that's a good idea. How do I describe this? Let's say it's somebody took a four-sided dice. Right? So a little pyramid. It stuck it in the middle of it and pulled it back out again. That's the shape that's indented in there. All of them have the same shape. Dars quickly goes back to the rock... And, does best and rolls one over. Sure enough, on the bottom of each of these rocks... Is that shape. All five buttons... Have that shape. So... Just standing on one... Which was his first instinctual thing... Put four rocks on a thing... And then... Stand on the fifth one... Because he's a pretty heavy guy. Won't work... Because he has to put these things in the niche. And he has to decide... Which four he's going to do. Left up to him. Completely up to him. Is there a right? Is there a wrong? No. He gets to do four. At this time, he hears a popping noise behind him. And a sizzle. And he looks. And he can see that acid is slowly starting to leak from underneath the edge of his... or coming from the bottom of his glass dome as well... which means he's on a timer. Darsh is very unhappy about this predicament. But he does what he feels is the most important. The first thing he does is he picks up a rock. Again, he's able to pick them all up. I did not require a strength check. They were all able to be picked up, but just barely. It's almost like somebody picked a rock... Heavy enough that he could lift, but just barely. The rocks are all identical. Get that. Identical rocks. Looks like a natural rock, but they're all identical. He picks one up and lugs it over and opens up Dandy's tube first. Um, While he doesn't want to lose anybody here, in almost every situation, uh, his priority is going to be Dandy of everyone else in there. Danny's also the only one. Ulrich is a king. He knows Ulrich. Tevin, a healer. They're all going to want Dany to go first. Edwin might be the only one who's like, no, what about me? You know. But overall, Edwin's a good guy, though. He's a good mage. He's not an evil mage. So he lets Dandy out first. The next one he decides to let out is Tevin. Because his thoughts are, if any of this goes south, having the healer out Because he's explaining to me why he's choosing each person. Having the healer out there, probably for the best. Right? Somehow he manages to be strong enough to break the glass. Because at this point, he's thinking, maybe I'm strong enough to break one. Maybe that's the real test. And he takes a couple weapons out, unbreakable things. He tries beating on the glass. But it's like hitting a solid, solid metal. So he's like, maybe it's a timer. He's thinking. He's got plans. He's explaining to me what he's thinking. Or she, the young lady playing him. But you know what I'm saying. Darsh. After that, he goes and he opens up Edwin's. And Edwin gets out. That leaves him and it leaves Ulrich. Now, Ulrich is just standing there looking at him. And he smiles and he nods. Darsh kind of does the same thing. These are two guys who are both in the understanding one of us is going to hit this acid. And Ulrich points at him and then just like, get out of here, go. Because let's be honest, in a fight, Darsh is drastically more useful than Ulrich. Ulrich's got skills, he's got talents for sure. He's definitely a good warrior, but he's not going to hold a candle to someone like Darsh. Darsh, instead of letting himself out, decides to go ahead and open up Ulrich's. And all four of them... And when, he, when they put it on the pedestal, I should say this... The acid drains and the door opens. I didn't say that. But that's what happens each time he puts one on. But once he does, because he tries... It doesn't come back off again. It's latched in place. He did try. Sneaky bastard. I even tried prying it. <laughs> I use a sword. I tried prying it. Nah. Ulrich... Well, very... Prying. Very likely not happy with the choice. is also not foolish enough to not take it, especially if Darch is sacrificing himself to so do that. So they all jump out, and Darch just kind of smiles and he waves, and he's like, "What else is there to do?" And they're all out there trying to cast spells. Dandy's out there wailing on the glass, trying to break it open, but not, again, it's it's as hard as metal. It's not making any type of difference. And Darsh just kind of turns because the genie disappeared. The gin. As soon as the, the, the test started, he said, all right, get it over with. I've got no reason to wait. And the acid drains out of the, the pool and the gin appears and Darsh's door opens. He goes, you may leave. he was like, what do you mean? What's the catch? I'm not stupid about this. What's going on? He goes, no, you're fine. You've passed my test. You may leave. Now, the other guys, they're able to run over to where his door is. And the wall behind them, again, almost like a rock being moved, but instead, like an illusion being created, The doorway, a doorway appears. He goes, I wish you the best on your next test. And the gin disappears. Darch is exhausted. Moving those things took a lot out of him physically. It really, really did. It wore him down a lot. And there was some stress involved. So they're all a little... little, And they had to fight a bunch of those things. They're like, okay. But they managed to leave. They have no choice but to move to the next door. Because it's not possible to go back at this point. So that was that one. The next room... Same type of situation. A gin appears. this one seems of average build, you know, clothing looking of a regular, like a, a scholar type. You know, not like a librarian type, but more of like a, sort of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Philosopher, that's the type of word I'm looking for, philosopher type. Welcomes them to his test. And he asks, which two of you will accept my test of wisdom? So they talk about it, and Ulrich and Tevin step forward. And the, he says, excellent. And again, lights go off, come back on. Darsh, Dandy, and Edwin find themselves sitting in chairs. They can't stand up, they can't move, and they can't speak. Nothing's tying them down, they're just incapable of moving. They try, they can't. Ulrich and Tevin are sitting there themselves on two more chairs on the opposite side of the room looking towards their friends but in the floor in front of them is a huge chessboard, and basically what happened there's a test that they have to take and it's the way the test was set it was not so much about winning the chess match it was about freeing their friends and there was a there was a a combination of certain pieces that they had to defeat to unlock their friends. So they had to kind of figure that out. Now, you'd think this would be a test of intelligence. Because that's what they thought, too. But it's not. Because in several situations, the choices that they had to make were based more on experience. Because the figures weren't traditional chess pieces, and they all had their own different movements. It was like a chess idea, but I kind of customize it to my own and they had different bases and soon they started picking up the okay this reminds me of the knights of serenity this is this is a thing the knights they get to move in this way not like a regular chessboard and uh, uh tevin is like okay these are like my people i understand that my people were nomadic for a while they did this they go based on prophecy there were clues and things that they were given throughout thing that they had to figure out a lot of it was based on Uh, experience and the wisdom to make the right decision, knowing when to sacrifice your own pawn to take someone else's queen, kind of thing. They successfully passed. Now, uh, some of these tests were obviously purely NPCs, so the characters didn't get to play them out, they just basically heard me enacting them. So there's that. Um, the next room was the test of intelligence um, and uh, again it was a it, this was a puzzle literally there was a there was a uh, two different puzzles on the walls and again the other three sitting in chairs couldn't say couldn't move couldn't do anything <clears throat> these are two puzzles on the world not mean like puzzles with pieces but puzzles that were word and language based puzzles and finding patterns um, and it was uh, Edwin and Dandy who took this one. Because they were able to walk in the room and see the puzzles. <clears throat> and said, who will take our test of intelligence? Well, Dandy's good at this stuff. And on top of that, so is the young lady who played Dandy. She's very good at this stuff. So Edwin and Dandy did this one. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't have the puzzles anymore. But I know it was a word-based puzzle. and there were... It wasn't so much as... They had to figure out what glyphs matched which words, and they had to put them in a specific pattern. And there was there was diagrams, there was different things on the walls and the ceilings and the floor outside of that. That when looking for it, if they asked me the right question. I'd be like, "Yes, you find a moon that looks the same color over here. This and it's red." And they were like, "Okay, it's red moon. Okay, I got that now." And they had color combinations. That's how they would figure out what some of the word the glyphs stood for, because they knew some of the words and some of the words they didn't. Um, let me see. The fifth test was a test of speed. And this one was Dandy and Tevin. And uh, this one was not so much a puzzle dungeon, uh, so much as there were wheels, like almost like wheels on a ship. And they were in, there were ramps in this room. Like there was no acid, none of that stuff, no falling into things. But there were ramps, there were ladders, there were balance beams, there were ropes. And all around this room were sets of wheels like that. And when you turned a wheel, there'd be like a click, 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 click. And then you'd hear a noise, almost like steam escaping from above another wheel. And you ha- somebody had to get to that one and turn it within a period of time. I had a timer out, they had to do it. And each one required some type of dexterity check. Or strength check to climb, to swing, something of that nature. And whoever turned it, the other one had to be ready to go after that one's. And while they're doing that, the other person had to be start getting, preparing for where the next one could be. And there was a pattern to it. Because I wouldn't say there were like 10 or 12 total. That as they were going, they started saying, okay, that one's going to go. It's going to be one of those two over there. So the person could start heading over that way. So it was a matter of finding that out and getting it done quickly enough. Um, but there were five tests completely. For the record, the first one was all the things they had to fight. And if they said, no, we're going to leave, the djinn would have killed them instantly. <laughs> Our heroes wouldn't have done that. But again, not specifically designed for them. But some of it sure feels like it was. So after this last jinn, congratulates him for passing, he says, congratulations. The next chamber awaits. illusion door kind of pops in. They're like, okay, let's go through this one. And they walk in. And where they find themselves... ...kind of shocks them. They're in a cavern much like the first one. Rounded, kind of domed-like. It's not the exact same cavern. Because this one is about 50 times the size. It's a massive, huge thing. We're talking like a football stadium kind of dome space. Huge amount of space. And if that itself is not impressive... The fact that nearly half of this room, the floor is just covered in mounds of coins and jewels and treasure of all kind. Now, this is what they see on the other side of that room. Now, closer to the room, they see things have also been set up. There's like an altar or stand there. There's comfortable chairs sitting here, there's rugs that are woven, probably vases that had flower pots in them at one point, incense things, the kind of thing that would be put in a burial chamber where someone goes. And laying on top of the altar-like thing is the overwhelmingly perfectly preserved body of the dead sultan. friends are like mm-hmm and very cautiously make their way forward they're waiting for another because they did notice that the last one didn't say and now on to your test go do the next test they were all saying that, and good luck on your next test the next test this one didn't do that it said continue on so they're in here and they're looking around like he didn't tell us it's a test but it's a test they're on their guard as normal, Danny's checking for traps. But these things are kind of sitting comfortably in the almost center room. There's plenty of space around them. As they move their way through, a shape begins to shimmer a little bit off to the left. They draw their weapons and stand but Well, they have their weapons on anyways. But they stand back like, what is this? And a figure appears. And this is another djinn. But this djinn is much larger than the other ones. All the other ones have had very much of like a human skin tone like they they've been that maybe just a slightly whitish slightly bluish something like that not like Aladdin genie disney nothing like that but you know they they, they were regular what human looking colors this one has a skin that's very red and uh has a big old smile on his face finally he says after so many years, someone has managed to make it through, and he seems very relieved. Welcome, friends! I cannot tell you how happy I am to see you. It has been nearly a thousand years I've been trapped in this room, and now finally that may be over. They're talking. They step forward. He goes, "Whoa! whoa, whoa. Don't step any closer. You don't understand what's going on here." Since the moment you walked inside this cavern, that, and he points at the dead body, has been slowly, slowly sucking out your life force. Making you weaker, breaking you down. And as it draws your life force out, it takes that life force into itself. And it is only a matter of time before once again he rises. And I must tell you, friends, he is overwhelmingly powerful. He took down an entire city rather than lose to what he called the filthy rabble. I and the other Djinn that you've seen are trapped, enslaved by this man. He wears around his neck an amulet for which I am bound, and on each of his fingers are rings that binds the other Djinn. It was through our power he was able to accomplish most of the things he wanted to. We had no choice. We were enslaved to the wearer of the jewelry. The only thing you can do... ...is to stop him before he comes back alive. Because if he makes it... ...no matter how powerful you are... ...you'll never, ever come close... ...to being able to defeat him. The only thing you have to do is defeat the final guardian... If you can do that before he steals the rest of your life force, then there's a way to finally break his hold forever. Gandhi's like Final Guardian? And about that time, as soon as she says final guardian, a huge roar is heard. As they hear the sounds of tens of thousands of coins sliding. And pouring and falling. Looking over the body at the mound of treasure. They see a... Giant... Sandworm. Now... A sandworm... uh, I'll be honest. Sometimes movies get things right. The sandworm I'm using... Very much like the ones you would have seen in Beetlejuice. Uh, Not based on that, mind you. But very much. A large... It's not black and white striped like they were, but it's, it's, it's a large sandworm type thing. It's a desert creature. we are in the desert. Most everything you've you fought has been desert-based at this point. Uh, but it's a large desert creature that has been trapped in stasis underneath these treasure mounds. And finally, so this, is, this is what they're being told by the Jinn goes, and finally, he has enough power to free it. Oh, who's this? Hello, Patchy. One second. So um yeah. Sorry, I'm answering my wife a question. One second. Okay. So sorry going to have to make a doctor's appointment for the kitty tomorrow. She's not feeling well. Sorry for the interruption, folks. Um, he says, You must hurry and defeat it. If you do not, all of your lives are forfeit. And my family and I will be trapped in here. Likely forever. Or, i sorry, trapped and enslaved by him. Likely forever. Enslaved by him. So, this thing is huge it's dragon size if not larger to be honest with you very large its mouth is just uh, the under it is just a whole bunch of teeth that open in all angles right so they don't really see eyes but the mouth of it's just a, it just opens up in all directions it's just jagged teeth it's several rows of them and it starts relatively quickly sliding through oh when you mean my mic I oh, did a it, did it mute. Not sure. I use a, a Samson Meteoric mic. Uh, pretty good mic. I, I, I like it so far. I may upgrade to a new mic here in the near future. Just because I'd like to get the quality a little bit higher. Uh, but this one's actually done me really, really well. So I'm not unhappy with it. It may even look to getting a boom arm. Everybody seems to swear by having it right in front of your mouth. So I guess we'll see. Uh, so, they enter into combat. Now, they attack the thing and they've got magical weapons. Everybody's geared enough to be able to hurt the thing. But again, imagine it's a huge, massive worm. and They're stabbing it with the equivalent of toothpicks. It does not seem to care. It has only three attacks. One is to try to come down and bite them. The second one is to lay its body down and try to crush them. And his third one is when it's already laying down, trying to roll to one side or the other to crush them that way. So these are the things that they're having to deal with. They have to, when it comes down and tries to bite, it has no arms or legs, but it can reel up kind of like a snake and come down. Uh, when it comes down and tries to bite, uh, depending on how close they are, it could get a couple at once, but they try to space themselves out some to try to draw off its, you know, and they're trying to do this, but all of the fighting and the spells that it was got, nothing seems to be having much effect. And while they're beating on the thing, it ignores most every attack they do. It's like doesn't even feel it at all. They start pulling out some of the big guns. Danny's got a couple magic items. Things that are like uh, she has a, a oil of uh, fiery. Oil, basically it's an oil and when, it, when oxygen it catches oxygen it bursts into flame and she throws a couple of those at it so when it hits it's a very tar like sticky oil so if you throw it on someone it sticks them and bursts into flame jumping in water doesn't take it off you may stop burning until you get out of water a little bit but it also eats on you it's very very hot stuff Oil fiery burning, I think is what it was, if I remember correctly. She's had several of those she's been saving for a special occasion. She starts checking that. It gets its, gets its attention a little bit, maybe. Starts uh, coming here. The worm has small, well, to it, small hairs along its body. They're almost like feelers, really. Well, they don't bite or anything. but they're, they're, To them, I mean, they're like long, long hairs. But to it, it would be seem very tiny. And those start catching on fire. And she seems to shrug it off like it doesn't even care. Just keeps on attacking. Edwin's cast tries fireballs. That didn't work. He's like, okay, I'm gonna try lightning bolt. Tries lightning bolt. If fire doesn't get its attention. Maybe lightning does. We'll shock the thing and see what happens. They try. Nothing. You know, while this is going on, they do notice that, of course, the coins and stuff's getting all chucked all over the place. Um, but the worm doesn't go past where the body is. You know what I mean? Like it was behind the body. They charge in to fight it. They're fighting it. But while it's moving all over this big space, it never seems to go past that. And they got to thinking, well, maybe we can jump behind there, get a rest if it doesn't come after us. But maybe we could. Maybe if it gets too close or it's slowly getting... Can we tell? Is it getting closer every so often? Like it's getting closer to the body. It's gaining strength. They were looking for all these things. A dandy has some very magical daggers. By this point, she had a, she had a, a pretty potent dagger. Um, that It was a dagger of acid. It's, a, it's an artifact. It's, it's an acid dagger. It's, it, I created it. I like acid. We talk about this. So imagine a dagger. That has acid on its blade. The sheath that you put in is the only thing that's immune to the acid. You can hold it against a metal bar. It'll eventually cut its way through slow, but it would. The acid never It's always on there. But if you get it in the bloodstream, if you stab someone with it, not only does it hurt, it starts pumping it do, won't come out, it starts pumping acid into them. It's very... Dandy doesn't like to use it because it's a relatively savage thing. And against you know a person almost inhumane. There are some big bads that she, she ever found... She, the way she always says she goes, she goes it's, it's not the type of thing I'd use on a person. She goes, but if I ever find that drow, it'll find a home. You know, kind of like if I ever find him... That dagger's going to find a home... Right in his chest. That kind of thing. She pulls it out... And she stabs that. Because regardless of how big you are... The acid of this dagger... Getting you into that... Is going to have an effect on it. At one point I think they used it on a dragon. Even a dragon was irritated. You know what I mean? So Danny pulls that out and she uses it. Because... The other reason she doesn't use it a lot is because when you're attacking with it, you have a chance of getting the acid on you just by holding it. So it's a dagger that has a very good chance of hurting her almost as much as it hurts someone else. She doesn't use it that much, mostly because of that. And it's inhumane. What she does, she takes a little bit of damage herself, burns her hand a bit, but she goes ahead and she uses it. Again, the only thing immune to the acid is the knife itself and the sheath that it goes in. Because many times they've had to pick it up and use like with a stick or tongs or something put it in the sheath and once it goes in the acid just falls off the handle and it's completely contained again and the acid on the outside just dissipates once it's sheathed the acids completely negged so Danny whips this thing out she attacks it she hits well high numbers on her scores and she stabs this thing and it immediately comes back out again And Dandy looks at the knife and she looks at it and she goes, that's not supposed to happen. Either the thing has to die or it has to make a successful strength check to pull it out. Even Dandy, she doesn't make sure it can't pull it out of somebody. It suctions kind of in there, So it's pumping the acid into you. She stabbed it and it came right back out again. And the acid's just dripping on the floor. She puts the sheath in. Now, this fight's going on around her. She's next to it. It's thrashing around. Darsha's getting squished and trying to fight things and casting spells. And she's standing there looking at this dagger. she's looking at this, and she puts it in the sheath. She's looking at it, and she's like, I know that's not supposed to happen. And then Dandy did something I was very proud of her for. She looked at me, and she goes... Well, she didn't look at me. The young lady looks at me, and she goes... I said, what do you want to do in your turn? She looks at me, and she goes... I want to attempt to disbelieve the illusion. Some of you may not know what that means. If you see something and you believe that what you're seeing is not real, you have a chance to try to disbelieve that it is real. could have hit you five times, punched in the face, you got blood coming down your mouth. But what if that really wasn't happening? Now you only got a chance of disbelieving it... ...whether it's real or not. If it's real, of course, it's not going to have any effect at all. If it's not real... ...you still may not disbelieve it... ...which means you're still convinced enough it could be real... ...that fail you fail. Which, in that moment... ...tricks you into believing... ...okay, I failed it because it's really real. That's part of the, the loophole. Like, no, it's real. It didn't do anything. But you might have just failed your role. It's a gamble. But Danny chose. To ignore the illusion, and then Dandy wasn't there anymore. Now Darshan, that he doesn't know what happens. He's looking over, and all of a sudden Dandy's gone. He starts looking around because Dandy's sneaky; she does things, but he doesn't see her anywhere. His thought is: Did this thing just eat Dandy? Did it squish, Dandy? Did I not see it? Is she behind it trying to get a backstab on this thing? Doesn't even have a back. It's a worm. Isn't it technically all front and sides? Like, really? You must hurry, friend Darsh. The Dijin says. Here's his voice. I can I can feel the power. He's starting to awaken. You don't have much time. Darsh like, damn it. Redoubles his ability. If he regains the power, or if he if he gets full power and lives again, all of your friends are basically dead. You've got to be successful in this. If he can get a hold of us and those and that and he has access to those amulets and rings again, he'll be a force unstoppable on this new world. Darch is like, what if he doesn't have the amulet and the rings? And she's like, well. The rings, I don't know if they would come off. Again, my brethren are those. The amulet, that holds me. If you could somehow get it off and wear it yourself, then I would be able to assist you. But right now, I'm forbidden. I can't use any spells to assist you at all. And Darsh is like, Okay, well, a Dijin might be helpful. Especially since, you know, we Edwin's magic's not doing anything. And Darsh is like, okay... It's not best for me, though. It's what he's thinking. He's like, I could try to get it, but if I leave these guys who should have it? Edwin's the most intelligent. He could probably control magic. And he reached, turns around and yells, Edwin! Edwin's like, what? He's casting spells himself. He goes, the amulet! Can you w- take the amulet and put it on? Would you be able to wield it like the, him? And Edwin goes, that's what I was just talking to the Jijin about. If I could get it on, then maybe I could use his powers. And Dart's like, excellent. He said, you should wear it? Yes. He said, if I could somehow put it on, I might be able to wield the powers against him. Dart's like, excellent. Don't do that. And I was like, what? Why? Because he, he tried to get me to do that. He didn't tell me to have you do that told me to do that why would he tell us both the same thing why not just appear in front of all of us and tell us all that's what needs to happen why is he trying to get us to put this amulet on so hard and Edwin stops and Edwin looks look, looks at Darsh and he looks at the worm and he goes none of this is real And the sound of a thousand coins hitting the ground actually happens. As the coins do hit the ground and the worm ceases to exist. Well, now... I must say I'm genuinely shocked. I didn't think that was going to happen. Says the large red-skinned djinn. You know, it would have been much easier if you had just done as I told you. Still, one way or another, your life force is going to be taken. And the jinn pulls out two large swords of his own and enters into combat. And they're now fighting the djinn. The worm ceased to exist. In its place, all the different mystical coins and such that were basically in its place in the illusion... The treasure that was moving around falls to the ground and the Jin attacks. Just the red-skinned one. So now they're fighting him. The djinn, powerful. But at least they can tell when they're hitting him it's definitely having an effect. Because they are still hitting him, but he's also doing quite a bit of damage left. And he's combining magic with attacks, so he's using spells. Now, about that time, Dandy comes rushing in. A little pocket outside the illusion that she'd displaced herself. Now she was in this dark cave all by herself, because everyone else was lost in the illusion. She could see Darsh and everybody running around, swinging their weapons and stuff. And she looks at the altar, with the skeleton on it, And once they disbelieved the illusion, once they finally realized it wasn't real, all that little cave relightens again, they're not finger, the treasure lamps and dandy sees her friends. <clears throat> but she's way back near the entrance, which is a little bit distance. So she comes running in to help. But that's when she gets saying She notices that the body on the thing is a skeleton. Not the well preserved body they saw before. And she looks at it, and sure enough, on it is the amulet and the rings. Dandy is like well these are magic items and I've been told many times not to break magic items because that could kill me so instead I gotta break a Dijin but I don't know how to break a Dijin thought they gave wishes the last one was much nicer this one's not helping us remember they've dealt with a water Dijin before Way back when they were looking for the Lasagna Stones. So she comes in charging again. She does not use her Acid Dagger because this thing technically doesn't have a bloodstream per se. She didn't know if it would work. And to be honest, we talked about it. I didn't know if it would work either. That's something we never did make a decision on. She just decided not to use it. <clears throat> but Dandy comes charging in. And of all of them, Dandy's the one who has the least amount of damage because she's been gone for a little bit. She hadn't taken that many hits to begin with. So she's pretty much fresh to the fight. And that makes a big difference. Because Dandy coming charge again. Let, she gets the chance to make a back attack. Because she has the, She tells me. She's not just coming running and charging. She's like, can I get behind it and make an attack? I'm like, yeah. If you make these successful rolls. Magical or not, it doesn't sense everything everywhere. She was successful and she's able to do a back attack on the thing, Which does a ton of damage. By this point, Dandy's back attacks are pretty horrendous. Dandy's back attack can do almost double what Darsh can do on a maximum hit. Like if he was to roll the top damage of all of his hits, it's half of what Dandy can do with a back attack. She's she's pretty savage when she can pull one off. It's not easy, but she can pull off. Only. there was one time. Well, we'll talk about that later. Where she rolled a natural twenty on a back attack. That was rough sauce. <laughs> that was rough sauce for what they were fighting. That was a that was a boss that didn't last really long as I would have hoped for. But uh, talk about that later. Uh, so Dandy comes in, gets back attack, and they start fighting. So they combat happens, and it's going back and forth. But with all of them, they're able to defeat the gene. Okay, it doesn't. He's powerful, but he's not that powerful. You know, when all of them, especially uh, without their life being sucked away by him, he wasn't trying to suck life away. That was all of a lie. The whole goal was to try to get them to put on the amulet. <clears throat> when they finally defeat him, he does the whole classic villain, no, and then like dissipates. And they can visibly see him swirling into the dust and going back inside the amulet. Like he's sucked into it like a vacuum. And they walk over there. And Danny's like, I've always been told not to break it. Darsh is like, yeah, if we break it, he might get out again. (laughs) Or he might die. I don't know. You could not even if you wished to. They hear a voice. And they turn, and sure enough, all the djinn that tested them are standing there. They got their weapons out. They say, put your weapons away. You have no need to fear us. They they come, they walk they come closer and they're not being they're everybody's still being cares, so he goes, he goes. It was not the Sultan who enslaved all of us. It was the Sultan himself who was enslaved. The great jinn inside of the amulet showed him how to capture and enslave the rest of us. We've all been trapped in his servitude for generation for centuries. And then when the body was lain in here, we were laying in here as well. The ring's still upon this beast's corpse. But still. Enslaved by the amulet. The amulet and the rings are not things you could damage if you wish to. Their magic is too strong. <clears throat> but you've defeated him. And he's locked inside the amulet. At least for a period of time. And that's something we can deal with. Because now that he's locked in there. His hold over us. Is no more. They see the gins go over to the body and they start taking the rings off. And they look at it and each time they pull one off, they look at it like a little irritated, like this is I, this some bitch, I've been trapped in this or stuck or linked to this thing because of that. And they take the rings off and then they take the one reach down and takes the amulet and pulls it off. And as they do, the ne- the neck snaps and the sultan's skull goes rolling off the back. Oh, no problems, no problem, Michael. I understand. No worries. We'll catch you later. Appreciate you coming by. Pulls it, Sultan's head rolls off the skull, and Draven goes, or Dandy goes, that's nasty. He <laughs> said no words. He goes, that's nasty. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it was. The is holding the amulet, takes it and puts it in his hand, and then as he puts it in his hand, it's like it's like it's disappearing, like it's going into his hand and disappearing, and the other ones take the rings in, the, in their hands and they see the rings rings sinking into their hands and disappearing as well. And they go, we will make sure that these do not trouble anyone again. We have ways of making sure these links are broken. And as for him, well, he has some higher powers he's going to have to speak to after this little debacle. The gin- that jinn turns and waves his hand... ...and a doorway opens... ...just like the others... ...he goes... ...that portal will leave you... ...out of the cavern... ...we thank you for your assistance... ...in this matter... ...and apologize... ...for what we were forced to do... ...before this... ...we do wish you well on your quest... ...and they start, turn... ...and they start to leave... ...and as the other ones are... They're, ...they're kind of... ...walking towards walls... ...and as they do... ...they're like fading... ...like they're just disappearing... ...that last one stops... ...and he goes... ...the lance you seek... You'll find it in the northern corner, over there. Touch not any of the coins or any of the other treasures. Each coin in there is cursed, and they cannot leave this chamber. The other things are fine, but the coins need all stay where they are. And then he just turns and leaves. They go looking to the weather, and sure enough, there's a very long lance... Up on two hooks, kind of on the wall. There's a lot of weapons and armor and stuff. And they're like, a lot of this stuff looks kind of powerful. And I know we said that the coins are cursed, everything else is okay. But after talking about it, they're like, you know, I don't feel comfortable taking anything other than this lance. I don't even want to take this lance. But this is why we came. We've got to take it. They decide not to take any of the treasure. Now this treasure in this room is probably more than all of them currently have put together. Horrendous amount of money. And they don't know whether or not leaving is just going to leave the doors open... ...or if the thing's still going to stay magically trapped. All they know is... ...we have the lance, we have to get out of here. As for the Black Sand folks... ...at least the things that were, they were afraid of... ...are no longer a threat, they believe. So they said, that's better than nothing, I guess. With the lance in their hand... ...and their quest done... ...Darsh takes out the hourglass... Screws off the top and starts sprinkling the sand on the ground. And as it sand hits the ground, it starts to spin in a circle and get larger and larger. And then, sure enough, another one of those portals open, and they're able to step through. Uh, stop by drop a like. Hey, appreciate it, Terry. Thank you, sir. And have yourself a good day. If you're working, I hope work is acceptable and not horrible for you today. Work is never good. Okay, let me take it back. I love this work. This work is kick-ass. <laughs> Regular jobs, not so much. I did not. I don't like looking. I'm not looking forward to having to do mine tomorrow. But I know everybody feels the same way. They walk through the portal, and Mercy and her friends come out of theirs. The next group. Which technically is group number one. Even though we played group number two first. Group number two. The one we just did actually was the longest of all three of them. The other ones didn't take quite as long. I did not planned it that way on purpose. But it worked that way. Group one. Steps out of their portal. Mercy. Artemis. Lars. Nathaniel. And Michael. So if you don't remember Mercy and Artemis. I'm sure you know who they are. Lars is one of Mercy's knights. Where she's always happy to have one of her knights with her. Um, And Lars is... The animal guy, if I remember correctly. He's the guy that usually has... Like, hounds and stuff. And then his brother Wade is the archer type guy. But Lars is more of an animal dude. But he's a ranger as well. He's almost a ranger. He's basically a ranger and one of her warriors. Well, him and his brother are rangers. They were before they came into her service. Nathalion is the elven prince who's pretty deadly with a bow um, and also pretty intelligent and, been, and he's a lot, he's older than the rest of them. He's probably twice Artemis's age. So, you know, he's still real young. Elves. And the last one is Michael. Well, of course, we all know Michael. Michael has been a uh, dependable friend and ally when he's not merging with undead gems to kill them all. Uh, he's a pretty reliable guy. And they know that they were being told that they had to enter a very cold and frigid Arctic-like area. So just in their warm coats and jackets, they step through the portal into a very hot and humid jungle. Which surprised them. Portal closes behind them. We're standing here in the jungle. Man, it's hot. I mean, it's so humid, I feel like I'm walking through a mist of water. Start taking off their coats and such. Bundling them up. They're all bound up, ready for something to be cold. They're like, this is not what we expected. They knew that when they got here, they were going to have to head... Um, north. North what Tobias told them, pretty much all north, and they're looking for the Staff of Winter looking around, they're like, this does not seem like a place you'd find a Staff of Winter so they start going north they travel for about half a day, the jungle's just thick and lush and there's not much change. They see a lot of animals, a lot of snakes, get bit by many a mosquito. Uh, there's quite a bit of that. But they don't really... And most of the big animals avoid them. You can hear panthers growling. All the jungle noises you'd imagine hearing on a Disney jungle ride. <laughs> can be heard. One moment. There we go. Um... So, they do realize, though, that they feel like they're going up. The ground is slightly slimmed up. They're going up an incline. They can't really see the sky. They know it's daytime. It's, it's awfully dark here, as it is. It's very shaded under the trees. It's one thing that movies get wrong a lot. But it's, it's pretty shady in most of the spots. Uh, the heat is just, again, not sunlight, but just humidity and the heat of that. They travel on. After, like I say, they travel about half a day. They've come to... The top. Top of what, you might ask? Let's talk about that. They come to a ridge. Top of a ridge. And it's probably 20, 30 feet. And from here, they're kind of looking around and they're a little bit higher than some of the trees at this point. And they're looking out and they can see this jungle stretches quite a distance to the south, east, and west. And to the north as well, but far off in the north, in the distance, just barely visible to Nathalion and Artemis, the silhouette of a large mountain. Their thoughts are well, mountains sometimes have ice on top. We're told to go north. That's the direction I guess we're going to head. So they do. They also notice... This ridge seems to go around. As far as I can see. They can either try to go all the way around it... And then go down into what looks like a valley... And come back upside it. That's a good sized valley... But they can see the other side of it barely. They're like, well, we know time is of the essence. Going around the ridge looks like it would actually be easier, but it would add quite a bit of time. Let's go straight through. So they, again, continue down. They travel down a ways. Now, this is what looks like not as long of a distance. is much longer than they thought. And after a couple more hours, they're exhausted. They're carrying a lot of stuff on them because they expected it to be cold. They decide to make camp relatively early... And get an early start. None of them get a good sleep. Mosquito... They did not bring mosquito nets... Or none of that stuff. Most of them are afraid to sleep on the ground... Because of the snakes. So... Of the five of them... Only three of them sleep at a time. One of them is on guard duty... And one of them is on guard duty... Of them. What I mean is... One is watching from threats external... One of them is watching the bodies... To make sure nobody... Snakes slink slide over on top of them and stuff. You know, they're watching... Okay. Animals. Snakes. Make sure none of that stuff happens. Because they're watching for poison and stuff. It's a jungle, by God. It's a jungle out there. So. They manage to get their rest. They don't feel super rested. They travel on again the next day. And... The jungle is thick, but... At certain times, it almost a mixture of jungle and swamp. Like, it's all the type of jungle stuff, but then ankle-deep water. Like, more water is coming into this valley than has a way to drain out. Never much more than ankle to shin height. All of these guys are humans and elves. Michael's the shortest of everybody. And he's just a touch-at, smidge-at-five or five-one, if I remember correctly. Um... He's, he's, a, he's a little dude. One reason him and Kendi, uh, the Kender Dandy... ...work so well. So they... ...they're mucking through this muck. Now they're worried about snakes and stuff underwater. They were really waiting for me to attack him with a the snake. They kept saying... ...do we see snakes? Yes. Do we see large snakes? Occasionally you might see a large one in the water... ...moving away from here or up in a tree. They were totally convinced... I was going to make them fight a snake. I did not make them fight a snake. But about that time, they did run into a problem. They were so worried about snakes and bugs and things of that nature that it was barely at the last second that Lars saw the threat coming. And instinctually tackles Mercy. Who, for the record, was in the lead of the group. This group has no rogue. It was Mercy and Lars in the front. And he grabs Mercy and basically pulls her out of the way as the huge branch swings through the air. Would have thwacked her really, really good in the head had he not managed to pull her down. Artemis was in the middle like normal. Barely managed to miss it as well. Uh, Michael and uh, Nathaniel are both kind of at the end. Michael watching with it got Menander out because even though again is still a magical freaking spear, right? Artifact. Nathaniel's got his bow out. Lars noticed, noticed the movement first and managed to pull him down. Nathaniel's the one that finally targets it. It was not a snake that was attacking them. But a huge branch. From what you say, I will show you. This is called a dark tree. It's a living creature. Looks a lot like a tree. Immediately after attacking... It casts a confusion spell. And two of them... Failed. And that was Lars and Mercy. Now... As elves, Nathalian and um, Artemis, have a bit of a resistance against the type of spell I cast. So they had a chance... I mean, everybody had a saving throw, but they had a much higher chance of not being affected, and they both passed. And Michael was just... Michael is so steel... It's hard to confuse Michael. Michael's been through some stuff. <laughs> and with Menandra... In his mind at all times helps center him, so he has a bit of an edge when anything like would cause like a fear spell or a confusion or even a sleep spell. Menander can sometimes you know, slap him awake, uh, so he was immune. But Mercy and Lars were not; and they were confused, and they literally dropped their weapons and were just like, "I don't, what, what, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing." And normally, had they been successful, the tree would have then grabbed one and started to eat on him. It did reach out and successfully wrap its long. Uh, fingers around Lars. <clears throat> Nathalian, And. Michael attack immediately. Uh, Nathalian doesn't waste time shooting arrows at a tree. Maybe it'll have an effect. Doesn't take the chance to do that. Draws his sword as well. And they start hacking at the limb. That holds Lars. And they do pretty well. They managed to pull that off. Hey, bubby. And it means to chop it enough, not that it breaks, not that it cuts through, but they take huge hunks of the wood out. The tree makes a large growl noise and kind of just flings Lars away to get his hand to get its hand up. Because they're very thin arms. And that's one thing you may sell from the picture there. Very thin arms. So they're not super strong. So holding him in the hands, it would go relatively slow trying to pull it, let him go, lets it move a lot quicker. Because, again, its its thing is it throws Cast Confusion spell on you. When you don't know what's going on, it just slowly picks you up and eats you. Once you're in the mouth, you're pretty much done. Um, Artemis, at this point, uh, cast a spell of some kind, which helped Mercy. I think she had a spell that would help against Confusion, uh, but she'd only target one person at a time. So she managed to clear out Mercy, which is the better choice, because of everybody there, Mercy can do the most damage. And... Realizing what's going on, she doesn't even will her morning star to her hand. She immediately draws her sword because she carries a sword as well. This is a situation where the morning star is not going to be as useful, even though it's a strong weapon. A blade is going to work better against the wood in this situation. So she helps Lars up, who's still slightly confused, but it's coming out of it at this point. And they attack this tree. The tree itself, not a horrendous damage-dealing tree, but it takes a lot of damage. It's a tree. Um, And they don't really have a wizard with them, so nobody's casting Fireball at this thing. Which, well, in essence, yes, Fireball would probably be good to to defeat a tree. Casting a Fireball in an incredibly thick, lush jungle, maybe not as much. Now, maybe the humidity and the wetness would keep it from burning, or maybe they'd be in the middle of a giant jungle fire. But they didn't have anybody to do that, so they were okay. But they did manage to defeat the tree eventually. They chop it up so much and such that it cut its limbs off, and then it's just about chopping it down. And that's really what it ended up coming down to. At one point, Lars has a pretty big hatchet that he he keeps with him, and he just starts hacking away at the tree. The thing's screaming, and they're just, like, fighting it while he's just trying to chop the tree down with this big hatchet. Uh, but they managed to do so again, and at, after it does enough damage, it dies, it basically just becomes a regular tree. Like, you didn't have to chop it all the way down, but it, it, when it dies, it just, the life force goes away and it becomes a tree. At this point, a pretty chopped up tree, but a tree nonetheless. Now they ga- managed to gather their things, get their stuff up. At this point, Lars has to go and find his sword. Uh, he is able to find it, because they know where he dropped it. But they had to be careful in these situation. He'd been using the hatchet the whole time. But they uh, they didn't find any other loot or treasure around the tree. Because, you know, the tree does catch anything. they probably eat it. There's probably not a lot of people walking around here. So, at this point, it takes them a little bit to figure out which way north is again. I'm just kidding. Nathalion always knows which way north is. One of his skills. And they start heading north. They travel for about an hour. And then suddenly the trees stop. They're relatively close to the center of what was this crater. But what they couldn't see from up top is the giant... Well, not giant, but very large open area in the middle. The trees are so tall around it, it's hard to see. But again, a huge section of land. Uh, half a football field, mostly. For those uh, in, in America, for people, uh, that would be... You, that would, for you guys, that would be a soccer field. It, same thing. Same, same size. Um, but when they arrive here, vegetation stops. It's an approximate circle. Way off in the distance, they can see what looks like more trees. But in this area, all they see is bones. Animals, all sorts of sizes. Just a big bone graveyard. They see no living forms of nature in this area. The land looks barren, almost volcanic. And it does have a smoky, sulfury smell about it. And it's filled with bones and kind of bones. By that I mean bodies and things that aren't completely uh, uh, melted yet. I guess it's what's not, what's not melted. Um, decayed. That's the word I'm looking for. It hasn't completely disappeared. Although everything they see appears to be animals. I mean, they're not seeing people or humans or dwarves or minotaurs or anything. Right? It just all appears to be animals of all the... And some of the bones look really, really old. Like mammoths and such. Right? So It looks very, very odd. Decomposed. Thank you, Ashley. That's the word. What I used was wrong. (laughs) That is the correct word. Decomposed. Thank you very much. Now, they could travel around. But again, it will add a lot of time. And they know they're in a hurry. So they decide to go across the bones. (laughs) I literally thought they wouldn't. But they did. And as they're going, they can tell that in the center, very center of it, there appears to be um, a rocky outcropping that sticks up. You know what I mean? Uh, So imagine a... The center of uh, a big circle, right? This thing's almost like a big crater, is what they're in. And most of it's trees. In the middle, it's a big area where there's just bones. And dirt. I mean, dirt. Dirt. And bones but there's no plants and such there and it's drier here it came it rose up a little bit in the middle so the water areas it's dry in this area and hot and stinky but in the middle of it almost imagine like a mini volcano sticking up in looks there's no lava in there but it looks sticking up this volcano is maybe two or three stories high more round than it is tall And they, again, see nothing living here at all. So they try to get across it as quickly as they can. Again, absolutely no rogues here. And absolutely no wizards. They're a little shorthanded on that. As they travel across, they realize it's going to take about an hour at most to travel across this area. Because while it is still bone and dirt, it's actually faster travel than the trees. They're not having to chop their way through stuff. They're not through ankle-deep water. Because they were having to hack vines and all that kind of stuff. Here, it's mostly clear. they got to step over and climb over some big bones once in a while. But it's pretty dry here. Dry to a fault, if you will. Um, And so they're making their way across that. As they approach this middle mini volcano-looking thing... uh, it looks just like it's just rock coming out of the ground. They proceed to go around it. They get about halfway around. So let's just say they're uh, they're going north. So let's just say they reached it... You know, coming up from the bottom. They start going towards... And they hit about 9 o'clock. And they see that there's a large hole. Like a cave that actually goes down in a bit. Well, now they're going to be cautious. They carefully... Approach the thing. Nathalian, and Michael sneak up. So again, Dandy's trained Michael pretty good to be a sneaky. And Nathalian is just an elf who's good at being sneaky. And Artemis, Lar- Lars, who's a woodsman, not as much with the sneaky. Uh, and Mercy kind of stay back a bit. So they sneak up and they look. They come back and they say, there doesn't appear to be anything living in there they could see, but there does appear something metal. Light appeared to have reflected off some metal. But they didn't want to go in until they came back. Mercy is like, well, I'm not sending just two of you in. Let's all go check it out. Because well, they probably know this could be the staff of winter they're looking for. They don't know. Mm-hmm. It's odd that Tobias would get it so wrong, send them to a frozen area, and here they are in a hot area, but who knows? So they make their way to the cave. They go down, and it's relatively steep, and it stinks. It smells bad there. The, st- the sulfur smell is there, but it also just stinks. Like decay. And this one I do mean decay. Um, So they make their way down in. And what they find... Is quite surprising. The cavern as well... Is filled with bones. Just like everything else. Um, But it's also filled... With carcasses. Large animals. Uh, I guess big cats... Jungle bear. We'll say there's jungle bears. But there's large animals in different stages of decomposition. All just mangled. They don't find... There were some carcasses, as I said, out there, but way more in here. But what they find that surprised them is they find partial remains of a group of dwarves. There are several dwarven bodies in here that are all dead. In fact, many of them are missing parts. Legs, arms, everything from the neck down. I mean, I'm not neck down. Obviously, it's not just a head, but you know what I'm saying. Bitten in half. Kind of like what you'd imagine if you threw a bunch of dwarves in a pit with sharks. And the sharks left. And all you had left were the mangled bits. That's what they find. Searching to see if any of them are alive. None of them are alive. They're too far gone. But they do find a couple pieces of gear that were strapped to them. and One of them had a very nice quality warhammer. It's not magical in looks anyways. It doesn't seem that way. But it was very well crafted. Um, And they managed to take it off one of the dwarves. And like, well, we'll take that. They found a couple things on them of uh, not... Of jewelry, kind of like jewelry, but what seemed more like uh I guess say decorative jewelry. You know, like a lot of people, it's not like a magical ring or a magic earring, but it's things you know of things that they wore. Did long beard and beads and such in it. They don't take any of that, but they they do see that. But they take the hammer because it was the only thing in the group that was seemed to be made of pretty sturdy material. But it did not seem magical, and they have no mage. And Artemis casts a spell on it, and it does not. Appear to be magical. So they take the Warhammer with them. And they decide they're going to go ahead. And keep on. Because that was what the light was reflecting off. Was the Warhammer. And then I had something I got to read to them. As you exit the large stinking cave. You begin to make your way back. Towards the tree line. You've barely taken three steps. When you all stop. All of you heard the heavy footstep and you could feel the earth shake beneath you. Your heads turned to the east where you can hear the sounds of trees and limbs snapping. Again, the ground shakes as something massive moves through the trees towards you. My friends, came Michael's voice from behind you. We have a problem. His voice had an echoey sound to it and turning towards him you can see his hair has gone white and purple like smoke comes from his eyes. They're all like they start drawing their weapons. It's at that point that the slightly rotten partially decomposed and incredibly stinky Tyrannosaurus rex bursts out of the tree line. Didn't give him a snake, though. Didn't give him a snake. This undead T-Rex is missing an eye. Multiple large wounds. Pieces of skin missing. Ribs visible. You The second he bursts through the trees, the smell just wafts over them. It looks around with its one good eye and sees them. And it's opened its mouth and where you would normally expect to hear a growl nothing happens. It's hard to growl when you don't breathe. And as though its its body is in parts is mangled still has claws in the front huge freaking teeth part of the jaw sticking out down here though part of that eye hanging out. It comes stomping towards them. As they're the only thing... Invisible Sign, And then I was like... You know... Roll for initiative. (laughs) In all my time playing with these guys... I'd never had them fight a dinosaur. (laughs) And I figured I'd make it a dinosaur with pizzazz. (laughs) So an undead T-Rex. The battle itself... uh, was long, uh, but nobody took a too too much damage really. Uh, Michael did a very bit, of, uh, quite a bit of the heavy lifting in this regard. Um, he and Menandra managed to stay out of its reach. I mean, I don't think Michael took a point of damage in that entire battle. Um, Nathalian was back shooting arrows um, because at this point, you know. He's not aiming for eyes or hearts and things of that nature. It's all a matter of just trying to do as much damage as possible. So he, more often than not, he was using his arrows to draw the attention off of somebody else. Michael or Mercy. He was using his arrows more to just kind of get its attention so that they could attack it easier. But Michael and Mercy and Lars, they were in there chopping away. Artemis in the back. Of course, she attempted to turn undead at the beginning, but this thing was just a little bit too big to be immune to that. A little bit too big to be affected by that. It was relatively immune. It did. Uh, I think it dazed it around. I think the the first round they entered into combat, it didn't attack because it had to shrug it off. But I think it dazed it for one round, if I remember correctly. Artemis um, has it had a few spells in this situation. There, she was able to use against it. Um, but she did just that. And uh, she used the uh, classic <coughs> classic trick of uh, trying to... First, she tried to use a healing spell to heal it. Because there's... In some games and stories, if you use a healing spell on an undead, it actually hurts it. And even in Dungeons & Dragons, there's some creatures that can be affected this way. This was not. So she did blow one heal on it to see if it had an effect. Did not appear to. So she only did that once. Um... But she had a wand of magic missile at this point that was given to her by... I think think she either already had it or Tobias gave it to her. So she had it back with some... She knew when she ran out of charges she didn't have any more, but she was popping off some magic missiles to be a little bit more helpful in the back. Gave her something to do. Um, But she wasn't healing and doing all of her regular stuff. She's like, I got a free round. I don't have anybody to heal. At least I can pop a magic missile off with this wand, do five damage to it, and help out a little bit. Plus, with magic missile, it never misses, so she didn't have to roll anything. Uh, but the battle went through it, and it just really came about, again, much like the tree, dealing damage. Um, because it did have a amount of hit points, they just had to do enough damage to it to take it down. And, and they targeted things like the legs and stuff specifically. Uh, the flesh on it, while still tough and leathery, um, was barely holding together at points it's mostly magic at that point that's holding the bones and the the things together so doing damage to that really helped weaken it to the point that they end up taking out a leg and it fell on its side and at that point it was just a matter of just slashing the hell out of it still dangerous, still biting at them, it's still fast it wasn't a slow zombie, it was a fast T-Rex but they fought this undead T-Rex but they were successful and there was no treasure it did not have a wallet it did not have a purse So, there were no treasures for fighting the undead T Rex, Uh, but it was it was it was worth a little bit of XP. Once this thing is finally gone, they realize this is probably what killed the the dwarves. It could have fit in that cave thing. Uh, The thing did it eat them? Does it have to eat? Does it just instinctual at that point bring the bodies back, but then not hungry so never eats them? Had it gathered all these bones? If so. This T-Rex had been here a very, very long time. Because they can look at these bones and see if some of them were, you know, hundreds of years old. But who knows how long this T-Rex has been walking around this valley, right? So, they again continue north. Now, they don't get very far. They're barely 30, 40 minutes into the woods again. Again, He got through the rest of the bones and then into the woods. When suddenly they are set upon. Now, the things that set upon them did not make an attempt to be quiet. And Lars, and who, the woodsman, and Nathaniel totally knew something was coming. And they all had the warning on it. Men, uh, Menandra did not give any warning. So whatever was coming is not undead. Menander can't sense the living. It's not how... Again, she can sense undead. But if you're alive, unless Michael sees you... Because then they can... At points, they're kind of linked. If Michael sees you, she sees you. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? But undead, she can sense in a range. Like, there are three over there. There's two over there. There's one over there. That one's a zombie. That's a vampire. There's two skeletons. I mean, that she can do. And then she's constantly... That's on. He doesn't have to activate that. It's constantly on. But in this situation, none of them were undead. What appeared were a group of six sorials. What is a sorial, you might ask? Let me tell you. I don't have a picture of that. I apologize. Didn't have time to find that one. But imagine, you know how like a minotaur is like a human-style body, but really big, but with a kind of like a bull head? And a knoll is like a human-style body with like a hyena head. And a gif we talked about way back when they were in space, hippo head. Imagine a humanoid-sized thing that's actually a bit on the smaller side, closer to five to five and a half feet, uh, that are dinosaurs, dino people, right? So some of them could be raptor people, T-Rex people. I mean, different and all the same. Dino people. Although everyone that they see would technically be an herbivore dinosaur. Now, you and I know that. the Players would know that. The characters would not. I don't know if any of them had ever seen a dinosaur before T-Rex. You know? That's something most elves even have to worry about. Um, so, there's that. But the ones that appeared, at least the leader, and the ones that appeared, they arrive and they start talking and of course they don't understand what they're saying. And very quickly, like they're not—they don't have weapons out. They're not threatening, and they're kind of just talking. And there's one particularly that's kind of talking, and he looks—I uh, wouldn't say raptor-like, but you know, he's kind of like that kind of style body. He's not being mean or vicious with big old hooks. And he's a regular dude. And he—they have weapons. You can see they have weapons on, but they don't draw them. And he's—he's he's talking. He's chittering away relatively quickly. And they're like, "I—I don't understand what you're saying. I don't—I don't understand." And he stops and he slowly points at Artemis. It's like, what? He's like, no. And he points at her holy symbol. And she, she puts her hand on. He's like... And you're like, oh! You respect the fact that I'm a cleric of healing. That's a good sign. Mercy and friends are like, okay, alright. They seem legitimately cool with the fact that I'm a cleric of healing. <clears throat> She goes. I'm gonna try something, and uh, she. Let me see. Where was it? Can't remember. Somebody here had. She had a. Somebody here had a scroll that let them comprehend languages. I want to say it was Artemis. It's like a one-shot scroll of what comprehend. I want to say that it was her. So she uses this scroll and she's able to understand what they say. Which is funny because there's other times when it would be handy for Darshan then to have that at the at the at the city, but it was Artemis' scroll. Artemis usually ends up getting the scrolls, even if anybody can use the scrolls. Uh, but this isn't a spell scroll, it's an ability scroll. If you don't if you need me to explain the difference, let me know in chat, and I will cover that either now or in a later village or a later uh, video. But it's an ability. So she, she casts that and she's able to speak with them. Um, they are very excited to see mercy and friends more importantly because the terror that walks has been destroyed by them a beast that has hunted them for generations relatively hero status at this point these things like i said are on the small he's the biggest one and he's like probably right at five feet so what about michael's side well they Sometimes they're shaped after big uh, dinosaurs. They're still smaller in stature by far. The biggest ones are usually, if I remember correctly, the uh, Triceratops ones. They're a little bit taller, and they are the, uh, what is it? They're the, uh, usually like the spellcasters in the group, if I remember correctly. They're the more magical in nature. But they're intelligent. They're not like animals, right? They're intelligent people. And they definitely probably worship in such dinosaurs, but not undead ones that eat their families for generations. Um, so basically he says come with us come to village come with us and they're like okay well we don't know where we're going they ask about staff of winter they're like we don't know what you're talking about and he's like okay so they they follow them and uh, they head that direction they get to the village the village is high up in trees uh, higher than even the t-rex could you know really get to (laughs) it's kind of the point right Um, and there's rope ladders are lent down and they're able to climb up and get up in there And they get up top, and it seems that, you know, everyone's pretty excited. There's cheering and such going on. They're like, oh, we did a good thing. Like, literally, this thing's been (laughs) generations, I would say. There's a great, uh, there's going to be a great uh, celebration and such. They are invited to stay for the evening. They'll be safer sleeping up there. They will help them with any supplies and stuff they need the next day. And help in any way they can. These are considered local heroes. Um... The spell only has a certain period of time, and Artemis tells that after a while I'm not going to be able to talk to you guys again. So I'd like to ask some questions. Sure. Looking for a staff of winter. Any idea what that is? They said no. Okay, cool. Um, they describe it, magical staff. Like never heard anything about it. They're like, okay, cool. Um, we're looking. How about really, really cold ice and snow? And like that, we know. Yes, to the north there's a mountain range, and it's very cold up in that direction. Uh, most of us don't. That's why we don't leave. Uh, the, that's why they're kind of staying in here where there's a big giant T-Rex is uh, being uh, cold-blooded. They don't do well in the cold. Hot-blooded. They don't do well in the cold. And so they can't travel far in that direction at all. Um, but they say they can take you to the edge of it. We can get you, but we can only go so far uh, because we're afraid of what lives up that direction. And they're like, ooh, is it more T-Rexes? They're like, no, no. No, there's a relatively new village after the merge happened. They don't know what a merge is, but they say after the world shook four years ago, kind of thing, merge happened. Uh, A group of little men and women came out of the cold mountains and began to build a small village on the edge of the cold area. And, uh, you know, We've never seen anything like them. It's point point at Michael, and he's a little man. These are little stocky men. These are little, little thick guys. And, uh, you know, what few times we've attempted, I don't know, they maybe think that we're you know, scary. They're technically bigger than the dwarves. But there's been some misunderstandings, and so we just kind of stay away from them. They stay away from us. We don't understand what they say. They don't understand what we say. We just kind of stay away from each other. And they're like, okay, well, we found some half-eaten dwarves and a hammer. And they're like, oh, well, they would have had to have come from there. It's the only, the only people we've ever seen like that. For Jennifer, hundreds of years, it was just us living here. There's a couple other small sorial villages in this jungle area. But it's just us living here. None of us get to... There's no huge numbers here because there's a T-Rex munching on us occasionally. Um, so there's that. So, like, can you take us as far as you can to them, then? They live on the edge of the cold stuff. Maybe they know what we're looking for. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. So they stay there that night. They're treated as heroes. There's uh, music and dancing and all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, there's food. Uh, All fruits, by the way. Absolutely no meat. uh, Which is where the whole Herbivore thing comes in. Um, But that happens. And they end up spending the evening there with the Sorials, who are legitimately cool people. Don't do anything bad to them soils like anybody, can have uh, alignments across the board. These ones were fine. So, the next day, uh, they are escorted uh, several more hours to get to the northern rim of this big uh, crater. So, it's not a volcanic crater. It looks more like an asteroid crater. It, I'm not saying it was... I'm just giving that as an example. I'm not saying it was an asteroid. But you know what I'm saying? Very, very rounded, smooth kind of thing. Uh, but there's no lava shooting out of air or anything like that. Um, so they travel there. They get to the edge. They take them a little bit further down the other side. But even though they're still walking in the jungle... Occasionally a chill wind will hit them. And they're like... Just a chill wind. The jungle's still growing just as lush. And then it'll be hot and humid again. They get a certain distance they're like, okay, you've got to go about an hour that way and then the weather just turns cold. Super cold. Didn't used to be that way. Didn't used to be mountains there. Used to be just the whole world that we know of was just jungles of our type of people and such. But now we're trapped. Ice on one side and undead T-Rex on the other side. Not a lot of options for us to go anywhere. But now we have options because you killed that thing. Thanks for that, by the way. So they thank them for their help each other helps both of and our heroes then continue to head north. Sure enough they only have to travel a short distance um, and they come out into um, they get to a, clearly what is the edge of the jungle. I say that because the jungle literally stops. Merge World kicking in again. And literally they're stopping in the jungle hot and humid and in front of them on the ground is snow. One foot ahead of them, they can see a snow. And the snow is blowing around, and it's windy, but they're not really getting hit with it. You know, once in a while, a little tiny bit of frigid will get through. But they just see snow and such directly in front of them. And it's one of those things that doesn't matter how long that they've been in merged World, these are the situations that still sometimes got to them. You know what I mean? Going from plains to jungles, is one thing. But going from hot jungle to ice, like, that's a huge change. So they go ahead and they get out their cold gear. And they're like, all right, now we finally know why we brought this stuff. And they're putting it on. And they're like, okay, it's really hot right now. But in one step, it's not going to be. So the other cold so, sure enough, they take a step out of the jungle. And immediately, it's cold. It's a lot colder than they thought it was going to be. Like, it's immediately bone chilling. And it's windy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, good lord. wasn't expecting this. So they continue making their way north. Now, they have plenty of water and fruit and whatever supplies. And Artemis, it's Artemis is there. So, I mean, they got the chest of holding full of supplies. This group has more supplies than anybody else. And in case of an emergency, there's a barrel of pickled fish. You never know. Travel for a while until, sure enough, in the distance, they can see Even though it's daytime, they still see the lights and the smoke rising from the chimneys. And they arrive not to find a wooden town like they'd expect, but a home made of stone. The dwarves have been chiseling and cutting out of the rock around the area and building stone homes. Although they're relatively small. Um, And the village doesn't constitute more than maybe 12 to 15 buildings. All of them appear to be like homes. There's none that really seem like a store or an inn. There's nothing that would imply animals, like horses. There's nothing like an animal you would ride or animal for farming. It's obviously too cold for farming. You don't see any crops anywhere. But as they approach the village and they're getting closer... They can see that, sure enough, there's some well-bundled-up dwarves moving around. But as they kind of come up over the hill and they see this... Also, on the other side of the village they see a large amount of water. Not an ocean, but a very large lake that kind of looks like it just goes like this with there's wooden trees and such and then goes to the mountains in the distance. Well, as soon as at this time, the dwarves see them, as always, there's a little clangity bell. Somebody's ringing a bell somewhere and a bunch of dwarves armored armored to the teeth, bundled up, come out with their axes and such. And they're kind of just standing at the town waiting to see what our heroes are going to do. Now, luckily, none of our heroes constitute any races that might be circumspect. I say that because sometimes in an area where you're living and it's dangerous, a Minotaur comes walking up, you assume the worst. You know? Even in a situation like this, Draven comes walking up. Probably not what you want to see, you know, because Draven wouldn't probably be affected by the cold that much. He's not wearing that many warm clothing. You're like, this is clearly not normal. Of all of them, let's see. Michael's been. In, Michael is probably the one with the least affected, uh, because <laughs> he went through some serious cold areas with Menander. Um, Mercy and Artemis have dealt with it some. Uh, Nathaniel probably dealt with it some in his life. Lars probably I think pretty much everybody's dealt with snow to some degree. <clears throat> but um yeah, it seems okay. So they're, they're they're making their way up there and they approach and uh I think I mentioned earlier as the the heroes are learning their languages, they're learning from each other, a lot of them pick that up. Um, Darsh could speak Dwarven very well. And that was a language that Mercy had picked up as her extra language through this period of learning from Darsh and then from Cole and the dwarves that she's dealt with. So that gave her the opportunity to pick up more. So she was adequate in Dwarven. <clears throat> um, she's the only one there that was. And she speaks out in Dwarven. You know, and even over her bundles up, which she's wearing that really nice white fur cloak. Remember that was a gift. There was one for her and Seraph way back. Way, way back they were returning from opening up a temple from the very religious town and they were given that one for him, one for the baby. On the way home that's when they were attacked by Shastra and the whole Michael adventure got started. She has that very nice cloak on. So it's like silvery white fur. Fox fur and white. Uh, so of all of them in their bundled up clothes, she looks very majestic. Uh, Nathalian had to borrow human because warm- he didn't have any warmth. He came to fight, to help fight. He didn't bring a bunch of laundry. So he's got whatever the humans are wearing. But over top of all that, she still has her holy medallion out. As soon as she knew, okay, we're going to be approaching a new group. Let me get this out where everybody can see it. And she speaks out. Greetings. She goes, goes, um, I am Artemis, a cleric of Tavian. My friends and I are traveling through this area and are asking if you have, you know, For information, food, whatever the case, looking for information. We're traveling through and wonder if you have a warm hearth uh, and and a meal we could purchase from you or something of that nature. One of the dwarfs comes up slowly, clearly looks a little older than some of the other ones. He comes up and he looks and he looks sees her medallion. He nods his head and speaks back in relatively good common at that point. Relatively, it's broken like they only know a little bit of it. And he goes, uh, "I speak some common." You speak some dwarven between us. This is Mercy, Mercy who's pointing out to Artemis. Mercy's the one that speaks it. So says, this is Artemis. She's a thing that she's come to visit you. Kind of thing. We we're asking for this. It wasn't Artemis speaking. I sorry, I should have clarified that. It's Mercy speaking about Artemis. Because that's her golden ticket. She always is, right? <laughs> so sure enough, that he, he comes up and he sees he goes, I you're welcome. Come, come in, come in. He goes, we speak some, some, some common in the past, so come on in if that's easier for you. And they're taken into a home. Now, normally you think, well, oh, that's awfully trusting. You don't get to fake a, a cleric of healing. It's very hard to fake a holy medallion. Oh, <laughs> fake ones look fake. So they, uh, I was just going to mention the pickle fish. Of course you were. So they go ahead and they get inside. And they're sure enough brought in, and they're brought into one of the homes that's a little bit larger, and uh, introduced as the uh, headman of, of their of their town. Um, they explain that they're, uh, you know, they ask why they're there, how did they get there, where did they come from, and they explain, you know, kind of the story. We were coming through this area; it's very jungly. The big old undead Triceratops rex, or they said big lizard, because they don't know it's Triceratops rex. This big lizard that's not a dragon, but looked like, kind of like a dragon with no wings. It was undead. And then we met these dinosaur-looking lizard people. Um and They were pretty cool. And then they sent us this way. He's like, ah! He goes, I, I know the people speak. They keep to themselves, we keep to ourselves. They're of the warm, we're more used to the cold. They're too hot in the jungle. We're not interested in going in there. Other than for some supplies, we do find some, you know, Meat, they can go in there and hunt an animal or boar or two now, you know, wild boar, whatever, snake meat, mm, but things, fruit growing there, whatever the case may be. Uh, but they live very heavily on fish that they fish, so the waters are greatly teeming with fish and also uh, with a lot of different plant life that can be harvested and used as edible food as well. Um, that their type of people have lived on for a very, very long time. They point out. They mention, you know, after hearing the story, we're from a kingdom really far away. She's a high cleric of this. I'm the queen of my land. That's our friend who hunts on dead things. This guy works for me. His name is Lars. This is Nathalian. He's the prince of an elven. <laughs> They're like, Jesus Christ! It's a whole group of royalty walking around here. Like, calm down. Like, should you guys be out without bodyguards? Like, let's be honest. They look at Michael and Lars like, you guys are not enough bodyguards for the three. A queen. A prince. And a high cleric. Like, that's a high group of royalty in your group of five. I think it weird looks like that. But They explained that... The dwarves explained that they were part of a much larger dwarven kingdom. But years ago, the merge happened. And when it did, they awoken to find that the mountains that they knew were no longer there. Their mountain. They were living in their mountains. Most of the mountains were not. They lived in a small village outside of what was the major dwarven kingdom... The Dwarven Kingdom was gone, and his its place was a mountain they'd never seen before, and a mountain range that went on much longer. Without the support of what the you know, because they would get goods from the main kingdom, staying up there in the mountains, there was no place for food. They had to come down here where the water was, so they could start you know finding a place to live. So we've had to move down here where it's a little bit more hospitable. Hello, Julian. So come down is a bit more hospitable. You know they're looking at the cold like really hospitable. Dora's like, we're cool with it. Um, While well, they would rather be living in homes underground, down here where the food is, that's not an option. Um, but when you do go into their stone homes, they find that you they've dug down quite a bit. Like, you go in, you go stairs down. it looks like a one-level home is actually quite a bit bigger once you get inside. Um, the ground is frozen, of course, and very hard, so it would be uh, pretty sturdy with the digging. Is it this time that our heroes decide to broach the one subject they've been nervous about? And they say, there was a giant undead lizard thing, and we had to fight it. Are you aware of it? Goes. Um, we have... Some of my... Some of our people who've gone in for things say that they've seen something that matches that. Yes. He goes, okay. Well, we found its... And we killed it. We told you about that. We found its lair, and we regret to inform you that we... we We may have found some of your people, or their remains. Um, There were several dead dwarves in there. Uh, I don't know if they're of your kin or not, uh, but you being right here and they being there, we had some concern. And then Mercy, uh, which they'd taken this out already because they were out of the chest all and they were prepared for it. They go, uh, "All we found was was this," and they pull out that big warhammer. And then the old guy looks at it, and he he's like, "I this belonged to my son." Uh, the uh, several of the several of our hunters decided to go into the woods several weeks back to try to. Storm had been we'd had some big storms. The fishing wasn't real good for Wanted to go into there and see if they could get some supplies. And they'd done this many times, but unfortunately did not return. Uh, seems that. Either they were caught by the beast, or if they'd gone further south, maybe got lost in the jungle. One reason they don't normally go that far into it is they have a very hard time navigating in the jungle. Underground, a dwarf knows the direction all the time. Above ground, not so much. Especially when you're surrounded by leaves and things he's never seen before. But he does thank them for bringing this back. It was his sons. He made it for his son when he became of age and such. Um. And he thanks them for that. And then, of course, they've already told their story. We're looking for this magical artifact called the Staff of Winter. Any idea what that is? And he's like, no. But in the middle of the lake, ways up closer to the mountains, there stands a tower, you know, a building that looks very old, but completely encased in ice. Um, the closer you get to it, the colder it gets. And uh, only a few times if we any of my people come close, and it, it, it just gets it's too cold. We stay away from it. Um, and plus, there's a decent amount of frozen ice around it. Trying to uh, We already have a hard enough time trying to break through the ice to get into the fishing and such. Sometimes they have to do ice fishing. Sometimes the water's melted enough that they can just do that. And they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's, you know, I guess that's where we're going next, then. It's the only other thing in this entire multiple-mile area the dwarves know of anything else in the area. There's uh, They've not seen any lights in there. They don't say they know they've ever seen anything living in there or walking around. But that's the only other type of signs of civilization, because it's clearly a, a... It's a building. Like, look at this. It's a large tower made by living beings. But it's completely encased in ice. And he says, uh, you brought... My son's hammer back. I appreciate that. Um, with his death, we will be entering into a... Basically a two days of mourning... For him and the other souls that were lost. Um, you're welcome. We'll, we'll find you a place to stay. The least we can do at the end of the two days... I will have someone take you... to the, As close to that tower as we can get... If you'd like. We have boats. We can get you there. Which again in itself is... Kind of rare dwarves on boats, but again, you have to adapt, right? Dwarves don't like boats. Dwarves don't swim well. Dwarves sink real well. You don't find a lot of dwarves on boats. And they're like, okay, well, we definitely appreciate that. Yes, okay, we'll stay here for a couple of days. Um, and it's at this point that um, when the dwarves have their morning, it's morning, but it's not morning. You know what I mean? It's like for them, it's it's like a celebration of life. So. There's big meals, people stand talk, tell stories of the Lost Ones, things of like that, tell stories of warriors, meet them in Valhalla, all that kind of stuff. Not Valhalla, but you know what I'm saying. It's one of those things where they, it's a celebration of life. They're not all partying, getting drunk like crazy, but there will be solemn meals and so on. Uh, it's at this point that uh, the our heroes really jump up to help out uh, because they go into that chest of holding and they pull out a ton of food. Um, they brought horrendous amounts of supplies. They always do when they have the chest of holding. And they bring out a bunch of food, and not only that, it's a lot of it's prepared food. You know, they got meat, they got cheeses, they got breads, things that will last a while. Because in this type of situation, the breads usually dried or salted, uh, the cheese, and they got probably jars of pickled stuff. Remember, the chest of holding everything's sitting on a shelf. You can shake the mini chest of holding; nothing falls off the shelf. It stays the same. So they can have glass bottles of probably jars. of pickled onions, and pickles, and fruit, and things like that, jams, and jellies, they have quite a bit of stuff, um, and they bring out a lot of that, a lot of this stuff is food people like this haven't seen in a long time, or ever had, um, so it's, it's a feast indeed, and they're definitely appreciative of that, but sure enough, um, the two days go by, and they're like, okay, you know, after that, there's several, two days of that, they're, uh, They're basically... Some people give them... There's a small house that belonged to one of the guys who was single. They stay there for the night kind of thing. Um, But at the end of that... Sure enough, they take them on the boat. They're like, okay, we've got a boat ready. We wish you well. We can't get that close, but we can get you to at least... To where the ice seems sturdy enough to walk on. Um, But I've got to warn you. I don't know if it stays like that the whole time. And what we know of the water, it's very deep. That... Tower was not in that lake before. The lake is... We knew the lake. The lake is where we're from. The tower is not. I don't know how that got there. And this also sounds a little bit odd to them. Because while Merge Worlds happened, you never came across a place where one building was pulled in and put in the middle of a place where everything else was. That seems a little odd. But... Like, does it look new? They're like, no, it looks old as hell, frozen and ice. You know, no lights inside. Looks like it's been sitting there for forever. We'll take you as close as we can, but you know it's dangerous. Are you sure you want to go? And like, we don't have any choice. Like, do you need us to wait and bring you back? And they're like, no, we have magical means to return home if we're successful. One way or another, we don't want to keep you out there any longer. We have to. We just appreciate the help. So the headman of the town thanks them. People say Goodbye. They're taking out several of the young men. Take them on. It's a very small boat. It's not a rowboat. I mean, it's a boat with a sail. They can go out into deeper water in it, but there are rowing and such. But it's always windy here. Usually they got to row to get home because the wind is always harsh. But they go to ways, and Nathalion, of course, immediately takes to it. Nathalion's been living on boats for a couple hundred years now, so it's nothing for him to hop on and start helping, and they're like, oh, wow, this guy knows his boat stuff. And he actually shows them a few things. This will help tie a knot like this, blah, 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 blah. They start making their way down the lake. They go down the lake for probably about an hour. The boat's not super fast, and at times they have to stop and break pieces of ice to get through. Sure enough, it's very cold, and everybody's all bundled up again. It's even colder on the water. But after a short while, they get to a part where the lake, after snaking like it did, ends up becoming a large circle. And they're like, this is the part where the water is the deepest. This it always was. It's always been cold where we are. They're used to the cold. The cold did not come... From a new world, they was cold where they were from. They mostly lived underground. It didn't matter back then. But now they can see the tower. And sure enough, the thing appears to be much tall. Uh, it's it's got to be at least six, seven stories high, very high, um, but surprisingly thin. You know what I mean? Like it's still you know a, a small house wide, but for as tall as it is, you'd think it would actually be bigger. Uh, But it's right in the water, and it's all ice around there, and they can see it in the distance. They get to a point where they're like, we can't break through the ice anymore, it's just too thick. Nathaniel's like, I'm going to go first, if you guys will stay here a bit. Nathaniel hops up on the ice, goes walking around. Elves, very light-footed. We all know this about elves. He's able to go around check it out, stomp on it a little bit. He goes, at least here anyways, it seems pretty good, and the, the, uh, the tower is a thousand yards that way. Thank their friends, the new, their new friends, the doors, the doors wish them well, and they head off. Mercy, Artemis, Nathalian, Michael, and Lars. Being careful and trying not to stand too close to each other as to not break the ice, yet at the same time intelligent enough to all tie each other to each other. They were smart about that. Although it ended up not being concerned. They start moving Be thousand yards towards this big iced tower in the middle of this lake where they're hoping they find the Staff of Winter will they find it? we'll find out next time because we are right at 1030 1028 actually and we found a good place to stop so next episode which is next week we will continue their tale Uh, I can assure you that we will reach the end of their tale one way or another, and then we will find out what happened to Group Three, the group that had only NPCs in it, and an unlikely group of NPCs too: Flynn, Danica, Draven, uh, Jorn, and Devin, another one of the knights. One of the knights. So uh, we'll hear their tale as well. From who though? That's an interesting question. I guess we'll see. So next week we will take up that. We will finish up both of these two groups. That one and then the NPC's quest. Um, and then we, I can give you just a head start jump that then we start the real the, then we start the beginnings of the end. I'm not saying we're at the end fight. We've got several weeks before we get that. But now, at that point, they have what they need. It's time to start moving towards their end goal. So we will very likely see some of that next week as well. But that's a tale in itself. I would like to thank you all for coming. I appreciate those of you who come and listen to my story. Whether it's today or ten years down the road, I appreciate it. Uh, That you spare a little bit of time to let me tell my story. I'm excited because we're about to get to uh, a grander scale adventure than I've got to do up until this point. So I'm excited. I've been pulling a lot of NPCs and people that we don't normally get to see. Um, That pattern will definitely continue. So I'm looking forward to that. But I appreciate you being here. If you had a good time, regardless of whether you're watching this today or 10 years down the road, it'd be awesome if you'd consider hitting the like button. And if you're new here, maybe your first time swinging by, it'd be great if you hit subscribe. Um, I try to share this tale every week on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time till about 10.30. We run two and a half to three hours, depending on where I'm at in the story. Um, you can find more information about Merged Worlds, as well as links to my Discord channel, my streaming schedule. Uh, links to all my tutorials and videos, as well as links to the audio version that you can find of Merge Worlds on Spotify and iTunes. Links to all of that stuff and other great resources can be found on my website, onlydraven.com. There's also a tab at the top that says Characters. If you click on that, you'll find a page of different Hero Forge miniatures that I've designed to represent many of the different characters I've spoken of. Uh, again, I'm never going to take that down, so if you are listening to this 10 years down the road and you'd like to see what some of the characters I'm describing look like, also, how to spell their names. <laughs> so I get a lot of confusion on that as well. All of that can be found on the characters tabs of my website. So uh, definitely a great resource if you're enjoying the story. Uh, but I'm going to call that a day. Um, I will be back again tomorrow morning. Uh, for We'll be back in Satisfactory. It will be the stream tomorrow morning. And then more Minecraft tomorrow night. But to all of you who come by and listen, and all of you who may listen in the future, I appreciate you. Uh, letting me share my story with you guys it's my favorite thing to do but i hope you have all of you a very wonderful evening and hopefully we will see you again very very soon all right you guys all have yourselves a wonderful day i'll see you later